Hey everybody, welcome back. It is really weird not saying Sam his part, but I'm Melissa and excited to be here today for our women's panel. Um, all of our viewers have been so excited for this. I'm so excited for this because I get to hang out with these lovely ladies. <laughs> so I'll let you guys introduce yourself. Um, Joanna, why don't you go ahead? Hey, I am Joanna Fisher. I grew up in the FLDS 17 years, so I've been out for almost four actually just over four this month yeah, and I'm now a real estate agent here in Las Vegas I love being here thank you for having me <laughs> of course um, and I'm Amanda Ray uh, some of you may know me from the show escaping polygamy and um, I also have a YouTube channel uh, Amanda Ray you may have seen me on this channel before too. yes we love collabing with Amanda <laughs> any excuse to get to come have you over <laughs> mm -hmm. it's always been really cool to it felt like like a family reunion even though we it, never met I know it, it like really weird. did it really did but um I'm from not from the FLDS but I'm from a different polygamous group called the Kingston clan well it's more known as like Davis County Co-op Kingston clan there's a lot of different names but yeah, I, I, I guess you've been out for four years, but I yes. just realized I came out nine years ago. So wow. it seems like you've been out longer, though, than four <laughs> years. So that's cool. I get that a lot. People say that all the time, but no. Mature. Trauma builds maturity, I guess. <laughs> that, that is so true. <laughs> oh, we are so excited. Thank you, all of you who have um, left comments and questions for us. We're going to just pretty much keep this as a Q&A and we'll probably just chat about things just to keep it really simple and kind of see where it goes. But I really appreciate everybody's questions. We have some really good questions. I'll probably let them start off with some of the questions that um, their viewers had, whether on Instagram or YouTube. And yeah, we'll mm -hmm. just keep it like that. But I? I don't know. I don't even know where to start, honestly, with something like this because... Mm -hmm. We really just, a lot of people all the time on, I'm sure on your channel as well, Amanda, everyone's always like, well, your whole channel gets to be about what it is from a woman's perspective. Yeah. So it's a little bit different for you. But a lot of the times people ask Sam like, well, it's great hearing your story and all, but like, what was it like for women? And what is it like for, you know, the women that have left? And what is it like for women that are still in there? Or like, how are they taught? Those different types of things. So we were just excited to be able to have three different perspectives, you mm -hmm. know, from the Kingston clan, from the FL, being raised FLDS, and then I was raised LDS, um, for anybody that doesn't know that. And then I, um, Sam and I just recently left the LDS church together. So how that was being raised in that. Um, so it's going to be, yeah, it'll be fun yeah. to compare some of these things between three different groups right. instead of just two as well. I think we'll find a lot more similarities than we think even though it's completely different. Like. I, I think so too. I think so too. Especially like, I feel like being from Utah, like your groups were like the, the ones that broke off. Like, you, you know, people still practicing polygamy or the offshoot yeah. groups, you know? Right. I feel like we're looked at so differently. And I was looked at as like, almost normal yep in oh, yeah. Utah, you well, know because I also did go to public school I was allowed to go for two years and the norm was Mormon everyone yeah. was Mormon so I was definitely not the norm but um so for us though the the group that broke up was in 1935 when was your group actually oh. I can't remember I think it was in 1800s it was clear back when Wilford Woodruff with really? the, came out with the, the manifesto. manifesto and that was the oh. break for us so and then we went on, you know, just with a different prophet mm -hmm. all the way until now. And it's been generations. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. I did not know that. But for us, Wilford Woodruff was really bad. Like, he's yeah. not even considered a prophet because, because he, he signed, signed the, the manifesto. manifesto. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. So that's definitely still where the breakoff was. But someone had told me later that it was very interesting that, like, he still was like, I signed this manifesto. Y'all hate me for it. But, like, I still don't think what you're doing is bad. For us, we were taught that that's when the breakoff was. Oh, really? Was with... For us, like, we didn't follow, you know, that was 
the break in the that's church That's what you were history. taught. Yes. Wilford Woodruff. Is the Wilford Woodruff, prophet. Woodruff was the fallen prophet. Oh, okay. Yes. See, that's probably more important than, like, when they actually stopped it. Like, who's the guy that... Yeah. Wait, so then does about. your church believe in... Because in our church... I think I asked Sam this, actually, but I don't remember what he said. Our church believed that the LDS church got the keys... Uh, taken away they were no longer the church of the you know the lord and then my great grandpa he got the keys when he went up into the mountain and like god gave him the keys to the new church of god or whatever is that something similar to what you guys think (laughs) with us i think that kind of the same thing the prophet after wilford woodruff i think it was either john woolley or john taylor it's woolley i have such a hard time keeping up with all this stuff because i blocked it out for (laughs) such a long time trauma (laughs) yeah but uh we just believe that god chose him to continue he became the key holder and the mouthpiece for god and he continued it on oh so kind of the same thing it wasn't Mm -hmm. like a ceremony or went up in the mountain it was like god just chose him to continue to lead his people okay i'm curious now did you hear about our group at all growing up not until i left no really like now like there's like an all red eye group the king's Mm -hmm. tonight centennial which is down there by my hometown i i met some centennial they're like a break off though yes 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 okay yeah but there's so many now and we were taught that we were the only one like even the really? mainstream mormon church was the wicked and abominable church wow that is spoke yeah, about yeah, that's what we, we were, were taught, taught too <laughs> yeah we were taught that you guys were like terrible because you guys decided to throw away what the true teachings of god but it was really like um so the the 10 percent you guys were doing the consecration wrong and polygamy those are the two things that they were like if you guys could have just kept those things then you would have been the true church but what did yeah. you guys hear about the flds and oh like, yeah the, well the that you guys just weren't following modern rev- revelation properly and then wow. you were breaking <laughs> off from the true prophet so mm-hmm. in the lds church like we're still very much taught that the <clears throat> that we're the one true church right and all these other ones are offshoots and the offshoots all happened because of the fact that people weren't willing to accept god's true prophet so mm-hmm. it was always more of a like whatever the modern prophet says is the most important thing and you're supposed to follow that revelation so if he received from god like when wilford woodruff received from god that they're supposed to end polygamy well polygamy now should have been done because that was the lord's will so if you're breaking off you're continuing to do that beyond when the lord wants it then you're not following god anymore so y'all are just a little lost did they ever teach you though that you might still have to live polygamy in the afterlife absolutely i absolutely (laughs) (laughs) no it's it's very much a, um, it's still considered the celestial law because it's in DNC 132. Yeah. And it's still in the scripture even to this day, which every time I read it, it like makes me feel mm-hmm. all yucky inside. I can't read DNC 132 yep. um, anymore. <laughs> but like, so um, yeah, it's still in there that it's still the celestial law. And we're taught that on the other side, there will be polygamy. That's what it just blew my mind because for me, I, I would talk to LDS people like, where are they going to get all these women that are just going to marry these? <laughs> and some people would literally say, well, there's going to be a lot more righteous women that make it to heaven than men. And it's like, well, then why, yeah, why do I have to marry at all? Like, oh, why? my word. It's stupid. But so that's interesting, though, that you literally, it's a similar. What yeah. did you think? Like, you were going to have to share Sam one day? So, I mean, so we were kind of taught that if you are married, like, Basically, there's going to be a lot of these... I don't even know if they... Okay, this sounds so silly coming out. But, like, if I'm married to Sam, then he doesn't have to practice polygamy. Like, it's not a required law, Mm -hmm. but it's something that can be. And so, like, growing up, I think I would have answered that question saying that, like, for all the women who didn't get married, the only way that the celestial kingdom is possible for them is to be married to a man. So they're going to 
they could end up in a polygamous relationship on the other side because they're going to need to marry a man to be able to get to the celestial kingdom. So it's more of a way of like saving women. Uh, Like viewed as on the other side, the women who didn't have the opportunity here are going to have a chance because these men could have polygamous relationships in the celestial kingdom so they can be like, you mm -hmm. can be part of my world. Yeah. Do you think then that... But they didn't have to. So I like was never worried like that Sam was going to be in a polygamous relationship on the other side. It was always like, oh, well, since we already have each other and if that's what we choose, then we'll be good. Yeah. Okay. That's an easier way to look at it. I guess I always feared it. And I don't know. Did you fear that one day or... your entire eternity in heaven was going to be polygamy? (laughs) Yes, I mean, that was, growing up, it was that way. I had three moms, and even you had had to practice, yes, you had to practice that on earth as Mm -hmm. well. So it wasn't like a new thing that was going to happen in the life after. It was something we practice now, and that was the only way to get the celestial kingdom. Yeah. Was to live polygamy. Did you guys believe, um, (laughs) so in our group, it was like you had, for some reason, they, back in the day, when I was younger, they said three wives. You had to have three at least, to make it into Celestial Kingdom. There was never a, like, a limit. I think it was just if you have two or more. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, like, the leaders born at one time had 82, so. 82? Yes. What was the point of that? (laughs) That's a good question. That's what everybody wants to know. If someone knows that, leave that in the comments for us, other than his sick desires. That's what's similar to our group. The leader had the most, 27. But it's like, why is it that it's almost like, a sign of status and power. They, the leader has to have the most, and then his his like men that do his bidding, they have the second most, and then that's really similar how it was with Warren. Yes, Warren had the most, and the people who had power definitely had like the next most mm-hmm. amount of wives. So I think what all of our <clears throat> groups have in common is that they put the women as less than, and the men was the one that g- gives you the keys to get into heaven, right? The men Absolutely. are the ones. Yes, you had to be married to mm-hmm. get anything, and the thing was is like. Men can become gods, and I don't know if you were taught this. They can become gods and create their own world, but women, we move to his world. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. what about what I want? I was like, what if I want purple horses in my world? Yeah, what about you know? be in your world? <laughs> were you guys ever taught that, um, like, our job in the eternities was to have spiritual babies? What? Yes. That, like, our job that. when we create the world is going to be continuing to be a mother and that we were going to continue to, like have spiritual babies and so that like, basically our entire eternity is going to be still bearing, bearing children, children bearing spirit children for the new world because if you're going to create your own world where would you get those spirits other than to somehow create them with your husband so you will be having intercourse in heaven and and getting pregnant i have no what? idea how that was supposed to work but they just like i had been told like I mean, just think about it for a second. How else would you be able to populate a whole world? If we are the actual spirit children of a heavenly father and a heavenly mother, if that's what you believe and you're a spirit child, how else could you be formed? I guess, but for me, I feel like obviously we're trying to make it make sense because in this worldly realm, that's what makes sense. But to me, I would be like, that doesn't make any sense that we're just basically living in the world, just in a different land. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, like living the worldly principles of like childbirth and stuff. But Mm. I was just curious if you were ever told that. I was, yes. We will always be continuing to have children. Another question I was going to ask you is when they talk about the Bible and they talk about Adam and Eve, Mm -hmm. did they say Eve meant many wives? 
Mm-hmm. Yep. What? Mm-hmm. Yes. We were not taught that. It was one person. What? Do you, yep. So, but here's the thing: they didn't like get up on on like I don't remember anyone getting up on stage being like. So just so you know, I just remember when I would ask questions, they'd be like, "Well, Eve can be interpreted as many wives, and you think that like Adam and Eve just had a bunch of kids and they all married each other? No, it worked out to where there was multiple. So I think it kind of depended too on who you asked. But they also believe that Jesus Christ lived polygamy. Yeah, we believe yeah. that as well. He apparently had a wife named Joanna. So no way. Yes, I didn't know that. But okay. apparently, we were direct descendants of Christ. That's why we were like the blue bloodline. That's why we had to marry so close to keep the bloodline pure. Did you guys believe you guys were direct descendants of Christ? Yes. Where was the lineage, and how come none of us are Middle Eastern? Isn't he Middle well, Eastern? <laughs> I have no idea. Well, okay. So first of all, I'm like, wow, that's just a lot. So. <laughs> Starting off, that would be a major difference between the LDS because we did not believe that Jesus was polygamous. Because it we never, never says it. We were never taught yeah. that, so that was definitely a big difference. Um, as far as this being like his lineage, when we receive our patriarchal blessing, we get the house of Israel that we came from, mm-hmm. and all of the house. Wait, there's like just twelve tribes. The twelve tribes right? of Israel. Yes. Yeah, you get told in your patriarchal blessing like which one you're from, and if you, which you know, get your lineage back to Jerusalem. And then if you are from um, a different house, which obviously would be anybody who's not naturally from, can't actually be a descendant, then you get grafted in like the olive tree. Yeah, I heard that as well. You get grafted in. So like anybody um, like African-Americans, because their lineage does not, if you go do their DNA, yeah, there's going to be no connection to Israel, right? To the 12 tribes. Why? And so then they get grafted in and adopted into one of the 12 tribes Mm -hmm. of Israel still. So in the order, we talked a lot about, um, I don't know if I said the order is also the Kingston clan. I think I forgot to say that. But in the, the polygamous group I came from, they talked a lot about the 12 tribes of Israel. And um, they kind of made it to promote racism, saying that you're only supposed to marry in your own bloodline. But what is so important? I never understood what was so important about the 12 tribes of Israel. Did they say to you guys what was important about it? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think that was ever addressed. And that was another thing as well about our religion is, or our cult. Religion, religion cult. Uh, they did not allow any other races. races. Yep. And my mom was very racist. In fact, that was something I would say every time we were mad. Is I was like, I'm gonna marry you. Know, your grandkids are gonna be mixed color. She'd like, like, that how was, dare you? Yes. <laughs> it's like the worst. Oh, that was like my damnation if yeah. I ever. Mm-hmm. My mom was like, she doesn't think it's racist though. So they don't call it racist. They say it's not racist to. So this is what she said. She was like, um, I think that. Oh, you're good. <laughs> so my mom was basically like, you get to say that you're, you're anti-polygamy. You get to say all of these things. Why do I not get to say that I'm anti-same-sex marriages and I'm anti-mixing your races? And I'm like, I, that, the difference is I'm saying I'm anti-oppression and you're saying you're for oppression. <laughs> but yeah. they don't think it's racism. They really no, don't. No, they don't. And we believe they're still children of God. But what we were taught is that they will not receive the blessings of God until every white person has received them first. Really? Yes. Okay, ours was the whole, I think we talked about this on the last episode, yeah. the whole like war in heaven <laughs> where the us white people chose um, Jesus's plan and then the demons of hell chose Satan's plan and then the fence sitters were the same. not white people, I believe, right? Oh my goodness, yeah, same. I was going to say, um, we weren't told that it was the, the fence sitters, but that they were the... Um, Curse from Cain and Abel. Mm-hmm. We were so taught that as people, well. Yeah, they're the descendants of Cain because when Cain killed his brother Abel, he was cursed with dark skin and that those are his descendants. But I hadn't heard until later. It was recently that I was looking through um, 
like teachings of I believe it was Brigham Young who said that mm -hmm. that it was the fence sitters it was one of the early prophets that okay. all of us would have shared the same prophet mm -hmm. that did mention that it was the fence sitters who got put into the cursed bodies of okay. the descendants of Cain. So that's something yes. that all of them had in common is from that doctrine. Yeah, um, but we weren't taught that, like, so me growing up personally, though, LDS, in the 90s and 2000s, like, that is not, we weren't taught. Um, even the curse thing, like, it wasn't mentioned all the time. Every once in a while it's getting mentioned. It, the church has definitely shied away from that because they started giving blacks the priesthood, you know, in, I think, the 80s, 70s, 80s. So... Mm -hmm. At that point, by the time I was born, like, Blacks all had the priesthood. Everyone was able to go to the temple. Everything was still back, so there was, like, no racism left in the church in that way. Mm -hmm. And slowly over time, even though I heard about the marking, like, that that was, you know, skin color was the marking of Cain. When they taught that? I don't that? think now they teach it, like, at oh, all anymore. Okay. So it's just a completely, like, in the in the past, that never happened. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. The current LDS church, we like to, like, more just sweep things, like, under yep. the rug. Like, if it was, like... You know, because modern revelation, again, going back to like the split and stuff, right? Like modern mm -hmm. revelation is always more important than past revelation. Right. Always. So, you know, even a lot of people would be like, oh yeah, we can acknowledge that like Brigham Young was racist because that, but that was just in the time and mm -hmm. it doesn't matter now because now we're not, we don't do those things anymore. So it doesn't matter. Did they, did you ever believe, so like with us, well, with me, I believed that they, so we were the only ones that were going to get into celestial kingdom. And that those ones, they, they, like those ones, people who were not white were going to be born on this earth, but this is what I was taught. They were going to go straight to hell afterwards. Are you serious? That's what they taught us. So what did they teach you? Because if they weren't able to have the Melchizedek awful. priesthood or any of the priesthoods at one point, were they not able to get to the highest degree of heaven? So again, they only told me because in modern, like me growing up, blacks could hold the priesthood. And so oh, okay, what got okay. you to the celestial kingdom was your temple ordinances. Oh, not okay. the color of your skin, nothing like that. Like receiving the priesthood, um, but basically when you make and keep your ordinances in the temple, that is what gets you to the celestial mm -hmm. kingdom. And so, yeah, yeah. race so and stuff for, doesn't matter anymore. For our religion, we were taught that they would be given a chance in the second life and we would teach oh, them okay. and the curse would be lifted. Wow, we yeah. were harsher than that, I guess. Yeah. But they could not receive any blessings until every white person had, which is really weird. Yeah, all because of that war in heaven, it all started Because, the yes, because they refused to choose a side or something in the wow. war in heaven. So, did the Kingston's, did you guys have a temple? No, and um, I always thought it was weird as I got older that seeing the other churches would do, like, sacrament and temples and stuff like they didn't that. They did sacrament either. Mm -mm. Or missionaries, but then mm. I would ask and they would say, we don't do missionaries because the Lord's the Lord's people will be placed here. They, we don't need to go out and seek them. They will They will find it here. And then also, I think sacrament was really just, like, they they just wanted to save money. Like, I honestly feel like the more I hear about FLDS and, like, LDS, our group was so much more about business. It was honestly mm. started as a business at first because it was the Great Depression. So everyone would consecrate their stuff and try to help each other, and then it started to become a religion. So oh. it's very much about um, how they can save the most money. Because <laughs> I always wonder, that was always one thing, too, that, like, <clears throat> being mainstream LDS, like, growing up in... I remember we always said, like, it's so interesting that all these fundamentalist groups all branch off, but then, like, one of the main things, you know how you're saying, like, you guys looked at us, like, how can we not do polygamy, and how can we not... Consecration. Um, <laughs> do consecration, and we looked at you, and we're like, the whole point is to get to the temple and make your, like, temple ordinances, mm -hmm. and that's how you get to the celestial kingdom. How could they just, like, leave that part aside? Like, what does all the other stuff matter if you don't actually get 
to go and have your temple ordinances done since yeah. that's how you get to heaven. That was definitely, temples were not a thing in our group. They were in yours though. Yes, very much. If you if you watch anything about the raid in Texas, they had a very beautiful white temple there. Yeah. Yeah, but that didn't even start until the very end. Like Warren like, was but we always, starting to do it. We but always, always believed in temples. Yes, oh, okay. we always believed in temple ordinances and a lot of them are the ones that Joseph Smith originally yeah, invented okay. or came up with. So you guys with. were just going to be doing temple work later. No, we they actually did it in Texas, as far as uh, okay. like, to my knowledge, they did some of it, and we also did baptisms for the dead, like the mainstream. LDS. Wow, really? Yes. Like even before the temple or in the temple? In the temple, it had to be in the temple, and mm-hmm. we also believed in doing like celestial marriages and stuff like that, mm-hmm. like seemings for like ancestors and people that were not sealed by the prophet, you know. Okay, I didn't realize that that much happened before the raid happened, and like. So then baptisms for the dead, that's one thing we never, when I heard that term, I was like, so they baptize dead bodies, that's what happens. But it's, it's, what, what's the point of it is to find someone who, who didn't, who fell away from the church or didn't want to be in the church and they baptize for them? So it is for an ancestor. You do have to request, or you, like, it's kind of like their parents have to okay it. But for instance, my brother died mm-hmm. when, when he was 17 and he had been kicked out when he was 15. He was going oh to be invited gosh. back. But for him to get back, he would have to be baptized, and he died before then. So how that would work is someone would, like, that was alive would go into the font Mm -hmm. with whoever's baptizing them, and he would take the name. So he would take my brother's name, he would say I, and he would pretend he was my brother, and he would be baptized for him. And this would happen in the in the temple? Yes. Oh, okay. See, so did you guys only do baptisms, like, for your direct ancestors or for, like, the entire world? I believe we did it for the entire world as well. Okay, because mm. the LDS Church obviously is like one of the biggest um, producers of genealogy, the amount of genealogical like records and stuff. Ancestry is owned by the church. All the big, most of the big like genealogy mm-hmm. sites and that kind of stuff is all by the LDS Church. And we were talking growing up. So when you die, you're either getting to wait for the millennium in paradise or in prison. So there's the two groups. So paradise is for anybody who's been baptized and is a member of church can go to paradise. And then everybody else goes in prison. It's not hell, but it's you haven't had the opportunity to be able to make the covenants that are necessary to go to heaven. So it's like a waiting period. It's like a waiting period, but it's separated whether or not you already made the covenants. So we believe that when you do a baptism for the dead, you're giving them that opportunity to leave the prison and go to paradise to wait if they accept the gospel and angels are constantly teaching the people in prison so it's like a place where like all the non-believers are going to be in prison on the other side and they have a chance to be taught the truth but since they don't have bodies they can't be baptized and since that's the first main um, ordinance that you have to have and the main covenant that you have to make you have to be baptized mm-hmm. so we're just trying to like speed up the process for the other side basically wow. by doing baptisms for the dead but it doesn't even just have to be your ancestors they do like as they're finding genealogy uh genealogy records they are constantly like submitting them and you do baptisms for the dead you go through the temple for the dead the only the very first time that you ever go through the temple when you're lds is for yourself it's called taking out your endowments and that's the mm-hmm. only time. So, like, Sam and I, right after we got married, we went every single month back to the temple. And it's a way for you to remember your covenants because you're making covenants as somebody else. Mm-hmm. So you're doing it for them, but it's a way for you to remember all the covenants that you're making. But we did that faithfully until I was too pregnant to, like, fit into my dress anymore. Like, every single month for date night, we would go and do it. And Is that a fun date night experience? <laughs> when you, yeah, when you believe that like that's what you're supposed to be doing and mm-hmm. that makes you feel spiritual and closer to your spouse, you could go do ceilings for the dead too. 
we would go do things yeah so we would go and do that and that would make you feel closer and remember your like marriage covenants as well so yeah when you're all in then yeah the temple's a great day night (laughs) wow (laughs) but yeah that's all it's all done for the dead also they have the chance to go from the prison to the paradise to be able to await for the millennium it's so weird to think that that there's like just so many rules and so many things that you have to pass the test to get to the it's like i don't know i feel like i'm to the point in my life now where i'm like it's 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 not that difficult. <laughs> I don't feel like I don't feel like it is. There's but. definitely it's interesting to like compare the checklists because mm-hmm. as Sam and I were going through like our spiritual journey and deciding what we believed and whether or not we wanted to um, stay in the LDS church as a family. My main thing was um, like I was preparing a talk for state conference, which is where there's like a whole bunch of words together, mm-hmm. and we I was doing it on the teachings of Jesus Christ. And my very first question I asked to Sam that like started our whole faith transition. I just said, do you feel like the list that Christ gives us to get to heaven is different than the list that the church gives us? Mm -hmm. That was my first question. And I expected him to give me the missionary answer, which he kind of did. But then he continued on with like, yeah, and what about this and this? And we ended up having these discussions. And like you said, like, even if like as a Christian, you look at like you go to the New Testament, you read the words of Jesus Christ and you're like, the list of what we have to do is so different. And then Mm -hmm. as I was like continuing to search and pray more, I was realizing that like the list that Joseph Smith gave his followers was different than the the one that Brigham Young gave his yep. followers and were different than Wilfred Woodruff and then John mm-hmm. Woolley gave his and different than, you know. Mm-hmm. And so it's like if all these different lists exist of how we're supposed to end up being able to return back to our Heavenly Father, why should I follow this list if in 50 more years the list is going to look completely different? Like whose list is true? Right. Or can we not trust a list at all beyond something more simple? Well, it's also like, I don't know. I have a few points to make on that. Like I always thought like, well, Christ never really even had a church. Like if you go back to Christ's time, he, he was the church, right? Yeah. And then it's also like the one thing we all have in common is that we all believed in God. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's like, we all had these different paths that we had to like some type of like Rubik's cube that we had to do to get, but it's like, if you take a step back, if you were a God who loved your children so much, why would you make it so damn hard for them to return to you? That's what I started to think of. And I was like, if God is trying to make it so hard for me to get there, maybe he doesn't want me there. And maybe I don't want to be there. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That, that's how it was for me as well. And then, you know, Warren Jeff's list was obviously very, very Warren long. Warren just took it to a whole new, he's like, here, he let did. me show you, all, <laughs> let me show all y'all how to do a list. Here, let's do this. I feel like it would make the people go a little bit insane with how many, because it wasn't there a time where he was like, no corn, no, yeah. like, yes. no, no milk, corn, right? no onions, no beets, no raw milk, no chocolate, no coffee, no, and those are also in chocolate, or coffee is also in the LDS. In the LDS. Yeah. But it was just so many things, and that was actually one, I got up, I was 11, mm-hmm. and we had also what we call the United Order in our group as well. Okay. That's somewhere like in, somewhere up, out. Right? Yes. Yeah. And we had to be rebaptized. I was actually baptized, I think, three times wow so did they choose you from your family like pluck you out of your family you had to move somewhere else yes they separated the members and non-members wow but for me i got up and walked out because i was like i I like chocolate that's just a little weird and i was a kid and we lived close enough to the church i just they're like if you don't want to (laughs) raise your hand and swear that you will keep these covenants like you're like listen i can do the dresses i can do the no corn (laughs) but the chocolate is where i draw the line exactly i would too i'd be like i'm out of here so then did you go back home then i did i i walked home and i never returned to church after that wow 11. my mom was really mad can you imagine having to leave your religion because of chocolate yeah you're like i just can't (laughs) i can't do it 
I really would. I think that would. Yeah, she gets serious. I would. <laughs> well, should we get into some questions? Oh now yeah, our really? <laughs> little banter about it all. Oh goodness. Oh, some of these are. There's so many good questions. We'll try to get through as many as we can. I know that's kind of like an introduction to how we're all connected. So that was mm-hmm. really good. And like, uh, like Amanda said, I feel like every time we all get together, it's always like home. And we mm-hmm. just that's kind of why I didn't like write questions because I was like, I feel like we're just gonna end up filming for way longer than because <laughs> so we have true. a lot to talk about. <laughs> yes. So much to talk about. <clears throat> um, okay, I'm just gonna start here. So, Javi Geekman. Are there any mental blocks that still hold you back from living life to the fullest based on your upbringing? Also, I just want to say you're all amazing, beautiful, strong, vulnerable women. Thank you for continuing to share your experiences with us. Oh, well, you've been out the, we've been out longer than you, right? Yeah. So what for me, uh, I think like I still find, you know, like, I mean, I don't say this a lot, but I actually joined the LDS church mm-hmm. for about a month or two. The period was very short. But uh, the mental block for me, I think, is just trauma from, and I don't say this a lot, and I usually don't share it because it's hard to sell family in, but my uh, stepdad got abusive at times. Mm -hmm. And there's a specific memory. I have sleep insomnia because of that memory. And I'm not going to share that because Mm -hmm. people have said he's changed and stuff. But, yes, that is a mental block for me. And it's just, you know, every once in a while I just don't sleep because of that. Have you ever done therapy since leaving? I have, yes. What do you? What's your opinion on therapy? Therapy is good. I think that everybody like that has trauma should mm-hmm. be open to therapy. It doesn't mean it's for everyone, but I do believe that it helps if you are open to it. But you, ha- you have to open your mind because the first time I tried therapy, right. I was shut off. Yep, I it's got not mad. gonna help if you're if it's making you more triggered. Then yeah, you have to have an open mind to it for sure. Yes, definitely. I did a lot of therapy. <laughs> I think that that's what made me realize that I did have those mental blocks. I was still living like an order member for like seven years. Mm-hmm. Like I was still, um, you know how you have that voice in your head, and honestly, that voice in your head is what people how people talked at you when you were a kid. So a lot of the times I, like, I'll look at my journal entries from back, like, even just a few years ago, and they're talking down to myself. They're, they're like, shaming myself, talking to me the way that they talked to me. Mm. And it wasn't until recently that I started realizing, like, I'm, I'm basing a lot of my decisions in my life off of this voice in my head that they created. So it took, like, years of therapy, and then I went through my divorce, and then I realized, like, wow, it's, like, so, like, I finally am learning who I am now, and that voice wasn't even me. And it sucks because it's, like, I brought it with me, even though I, like, fought so hard to get out of the cult. I was still shaming myself for saying a cuss or just stupid little things. (laughs) And then even believing, like, oh, no, like, what, like, I have to know what happens when we die because that's how I was raised. So I would let that, like, fear control my life. But finally, like, I can say, like, maybe a year now I've been at least aware of that stuff. I think the awareness is probably, like, one of the toughest parts, but once you get to that, then it's, like, you're, then you're able to, like, unpack it a little bit more. I'd say the biggest mental block for me is feeling like I, it sounds funny to say, but feeling like I knew everything, Mm -hmm. because in the LDS church, you know, we didn't have as many blatant things, you know, traumatizing like that to happen, and I had a great childhood and things, but I think it's the, I constantly felt like I knew so much mm-hmm. and Sam and I always say like the more you learn the less you know yep it's a it's a what's it called the sunk cost fallacy or something like that the, the more you know the less you think you know and the less you know the more you think you know yeah exactly <laughs> so but like growing up a member of the LDS church I felt like I had the answer to every question and if I didn't all I had to do was go search on LDS.org and be like how do I feel about 
homosexuality? How do I feel about, like, even political, I mean, political things too, like anything. I could look up how I was supposed to feel, how God felt about it. And so I felt like I was, like, very secure in, like, knowledge of knowing all of these things. And so I'd say the biggest, like, mental block for me since leaving the LDS church has been taking a step back and trying to think on almost every single issue in our lives. Like, Sam and I step back and we're like, okay, do we feel this way because this is what we were taught Mm -hmm. that God feels or how the LDS church feels? Or is this how I feel as a person? Yep. And I'd say especially with political issues and social issues, those have been the probably biggest two areas where I've had to step back and be like, how do I feel about it? Not Mm -hmm. what the church told me to feel. And that's such a scary thing because I think we all went through that where you have to break it down and then you're afraid of yourself because you don't know who you are anymore because that... That was the like shelter of yourself. No, yeah. it was it was your identity, literally. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing for me is like now everything has to have a reason for me. Like somebody does something, I'm like, why'd you do that? Because mm-hmm. everything, everything my had, life, a had a reason. And it was, it was a lie. Yep. Everything was a lie. So I'm like, okay, if there's not solid evidence behind something, I'm not going to trust it. And a lot of times I do miss out on a lot of opportunities and a lot of good things that could be good because I look for the negative in a lot of things Mm -hmm. because of that like fear of being lied to yep i think that's why i've never joined or found a religion that i like because i'm like well i don't believe it (laughs) i just i just (laughs) seems like they know too much or it seems like like i just feel like the fear of trusting someone too much like i'm never gonna put someone's belief systems above my own ever again like yeah definitely that's where we're at too okay Next one, um, were there specific rules that made you feel less worthy as and because you are a woman? <laughs> I had this question. <laughs> and did you struggle with certain gender roles? Um, did you talk about it with someone and how did they react? We'll just leave it at that part because it kind of mm-hmm. sounds a little bit. But. I think we probably have similar ones. I'm curious to know yours because you guys were more like modern, but you definitely, well, this is from my perspective perspective being a Utahan, right? Mm-hmm. Women had their roles and men had their roles. Oh yeah. Did that make you feel belittled or did you like that? <laughs> so it's interesting. That's definitely one of the things that I have to take a step back from now and be like, did I love it because that's all I ever knew? And we were always taught it in a way that was very, um, like that there was more purpose to it. And it was never, I feel like a lot of those type of things, I was never told, well, that's just the way it is or that's the way that God wants. It was more of a privilege it, it, Yeah, have those roles. Yeah, it was a privilege and there were um, like real reasons. And if you just look, like, I feel like there was so much reasoning behind mm-hmm. it that I never felt like it was actually um, like the church's influence. Okay. And now when I look back, I'm like, okay, maybe like there were definitely some things that were. So, um, I mean, they kind of have continued to change and morph a little bit. I'd say that's probably one of the biggest differences between the groups is that the LDS church has continued to like make changes as their social changes. Mm -hmm. So like when I was really young and like first started Young Women's, you know, it was still very much like you needed to be a stay-at-home mom and how important that was. But they didn't ever say like, you have to be a stay-at-home mom or else you're going to hell. It -hmm. was, look at how important and motherhood is your divine nature. And it was always from a very loving aspect to Mm -hmm. make you feel like, well, that's what God wants for me, but there's these beautiful reasons and I'm so privileged to get to be a woman, to be able to do these things. So it was always from like a definitely like loving emotional direction, not out of a fear-based, I'd feel like. But then even since then, like then more women started working outside the home. And I remember the shift happening where instead of like being more straightforward about how important it was to be at home, now they were shifting it to like, if you have the privilege to stay at home, you should take advantage of it. 
Oh, that okay. makes sense. Hmm. So as a way to try to not shame or make people feel guilty if they couldn't or if they had a mom that was working, they would try to make the girls not feel bad about that. But if you ever have the chance or the opportunity, that should be what your choice should be if you can. Okay. So like for the longest time, even when I chose to quit working when we had our daughter, I remember saying that like, you know, I'm lucky enough to be able to. Right. I'm lucky enough to be able to. And I honestly still feel that way, even now separating myself. I can look back and be like, I think that actually is truly myself, not the religion. Mm-hmm. But it is hard to separate yourself from the way you were raised. You're like, okay, but I also spent my entire life knowing that that was my divine nature and my purpose yeah. on this earth. And I feel fulfilled in that. And so there's sometimes where I'm like, no harm, no foul. Like yeah. if I still feel fulfilled in that, I don't really need to unbox it more than what's necessary. And mm-hmm. I feel good with that decision now and I'm happy. I definitely go through that with like, is, is the reason why I really want kids because I was born in this place where that was your only purpose as a woman is having kids. Yeah. But um, I had a question kind of bouncing off of what you were saying. So that was the roles of a woman. But did you ever feel, maybe I'm just a jealous person, but both of you guys probably, did you ever feel jealous or upset that women never have the opportunity to get the priesthood or to say the prayers and stuff like that, blessings? You go first, yes. Joanna? Yes. <clears throat> I was always, well, I've always been a very, even as a kid, I was a very independent kid. Mm-hmm. And I was always upset about the way that women were taught to be and the fact that we could not hold the priesthood. In fact, Warren had millions of trainings he called home economics on how you should act as a woman and how you should support your husband, how you should write down. I mean, it was never Mm -hmm. sexual because they didn't teach that, but it was like right down to you should do whatever he wants. You have kids Mm -hmm. when he wants. You have sex when he wants. you. He's the one above you. Yes. You dress the way he wants. You everything. He Mm -hmm. made every decision. In fact, right down to, you know, a lot of times how you ate. Yep. It's almost like there was so many rules on the women and we had to try harder. So why couldn't we get the priesthood? We were doing more. We (laughs) had to bear the children even. But I think for um, like when I would ask the question, because we we had this system called like the numbered men. I don't know if you guys had a numbered system or anything like that. Not the same way you did. I think it's similar to people that get the priesthood. It's like they they earn their number and that means they get their ticket to heaven. And I would bring it up. A lot of women would bring it up because they're like, what about our numbers? Because we want to go to heaven. And they would say this thing like, Oh, but like you're my, attached to the man. Yeah, same thing, but it's still like, I always felt like, because we didn't let, at least when I was there, they didn't let the women say the prayers, mm. and it just felt like a way to demean us, and I felt very, like, less than a man. Yeah, they didn't let women even talk in church at all. I think every once in a while, I think, like, at funerals, some women would say the prayers in funerals. But not if it was, like, a church meeting. But not, we didn't even bear our testimonies in church. Wow. And in the LDS, the LDS they is did. much more progressive. Mm-hmm. Again, they've definitely changed. They like continue to change with social issues, so women can speak in church. I mean, it's still kind of a big deal for them to speak in general conference. They, you can tell that they always are like trying to throw in a woman or two into general conference, um, because I think more members are starting to push back and say that they mm-hmm. want that. And the current LDS church tries to walk this line of like keeping it the way it's supposed to be and also making sure their members are happy with it and so it's one of those that like you see them like trying and then sometimes they like will fall short like you know even after i think it was this last journal conference i had seen someone on facebook be like that whole session they didn't have a single girl you know like they didn't have a single woman speak in that session and so i think sometimes they might miss the mark on that i actually went kind of the opposite way growing up where like I wasn't bothered by it I took the answer they gave me and I ran with it really so we have the blessings of the priesthood without having to hold the authority of it 
So we don't have that responsibility, but we receive access to all the same blessings. So as long as I married a priesthood holding man, it was as if I had, like the priesthood kind of belonged to the home Mm -hmm. and I had a constant, easy access to it. And so because they worded it like that for me mentally, like I was kind of okay with that. I was like, they all have different, like we as men and women have different roles Mm -hmm. and the men have theirs and they have these responsibilities and the women have theirs and these are their responsibilities. So I felt like it was more like God's up here and he says, these are all the roles I need filled. These ones I'm going to have the men do. These ones I'm going to have the women do. They're not necessarily like more important one than the other. The priesthood, I feel like growing up for me, they always made it seem like those weren't really more important roles. They were just different. Okay. And so because it was fun that way to me, I never felt like it was that big of a deal. I will say, and it sounds so funny now, but like I had more of a problem when the church started like mixing roles or trying to be more inclusive, it was more bothersome for me. Really? Because I felt like if there was a church that was restored, if God had really split up these roles and said men are for these roles and women are for these roles, and then you're going to let the women do some of them just because they're whining about it, then if you have an everlasting God that never changes... Then why is that going to change? But if he's never everlast, everlasting, never changing, why is the LES church changing so much? Changing, exactly. No, so I had more of a problem with the changes. Mm-hmm. Like there was a change right before Sam and I were leaving. We were going to the temple frequently because we had all these questions and, and doubts. And we just really felt like we needed to be there to get the answers of whether or not the church was true. Right. And then the church made a big change in the temple. Mm-hmm. And it had to do with, and it made all of the like feminist members very happy. Because you finally got to covenant straight with God instead mm-hmm. of through your husband. Yeah. And that's a big step. And which I still think is awesome, by the way. Like, I think it's great that the church is progressing to be more inclusive of women. Like, that's how it should have always been. For me, though, personally, I felt like I've been defending my whole life these gender roles. Mm-hmm. Like, they had convinced me. And I felt so sure that this is what the men were supposed to do. This is what the women were. And I defended that. And if now you're going to say... It doesn't. It no longer works like that. Then how can I trust what you're going to change on me? Yeah. How can I, I trust the list again? Yep. And so, a lot of people, it's been helpful for them to change. For me, it actually hurt my testimony more to see them change in those things, than, than what it helps. I think too because it's like there's there's these they kind of breed kind of like the order we breed these people that are are kind of robotic like these are the rules and and we like the stability and then as soon as something changes it's like wait what. Where's the stability in this? Yeah, oh, it was I, the same way for me as well. Like, even if changes were good or bad, a lot of them were just bad because Warren went downhill with mm-hmm. all the control and everything. But anytime there was changes, I was like, okay, the word of God never changes. They teach that repeatedly. Mm-hmm. What the hell is going on? Yep. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. So, no, it's definitely, uh, I think that the LDS Church right now, they're losing a lot of members. And I think they're kind of shooting themselves in the foot a little bit. Like they are towing a really, really hard line. I do not envy them at all because they are trying to stick with this like restoration model. And you can't, it's hard to stick with the restoration model and change for the future at the same time and be able to keep people happy. And it's going to be really interesting to see what changes they end up making. You know, like I've talked to family before and I'm like, have you ever thought of like what change would be too much for you to take? Mm-hmm. And I like, remember, where's the line? yeah, like where's the line of like, okay, if they allow women to have the priesthood, okay, there's going to be a lot of women that are happy, progressive women that are happy, but how many women who spent their entire lives 
believing and supporting Mm -hmm. yeah that believing and supporting that no we have access to it and that's our divine nature and our purpose Mm -hmm. how many people are not gonna be happy about that you know so there's so many things like that that i'm like it's gonna be interesting to see where the church goes and i don't know if they can win Mm -hmm. either way because whether they stay more traditional or they go more progressive they're always going to make somebody unhappy Mm -hmm. like you can't you can't keep that's a good point yeah Yeah. so ready for the next question yes (laughs) we're like two questions in i know 45 minutes (laughs) i know okay Uh, we knew this was gonna go i know it's Uh, better to have more than less right that's true what have been the most healing and or fruitful experience you each have had since leaving your respective groups and how are you all thriving these days Wow, that's a really good question. I know, isn't that, that's a sweet question. Mm-hmm. Most healing. I think that it kind of goes along with what I was saying earlier, how it really only last year was when I found myself after my divorce. <laughs> and I think it was because I married someone who had came from the same cult, and so I was still like living those those silly little rules that didn't really matter. So I think um, coming from a cult... I used to look at it as like, God hates me. Why did he put me here? Like, why couldn't I have been born into a normal family? But I look at it now like it forced me to have to do the hard work and the therapy and to really get to know who Amanda is. Like, I don't know fully who I am yet, but I'm so much more comfortable with the person I am. And I trust myself so much more than I ever, ever thought I could. And that I don't think would have happened if I didn't get into this really scary situation. So I guess finding the silver lining in that and like... I mean, it's easy to like look at the bad and like feel bad for myself and like be a victim my whole life. But it, going through therapy and being able to, in this after my divorce, I was the one that filed. I was the one that finally was like, I'm gonna put myself first. Like my whole life, I was taught to put everyone else first. But for once in my life, I'm gonna put myself first and see where that takes me. And so I'm I'm happy that I'm 26. It took me a long time, but I finally was able to get to this point. And I think it was because. Um, I mean, I want to say it's because I came from the order, but it was because I finally, you know, when you, when you left and when you left, you had to make those decisions for yourself. And then it kind of creates that habit that what did I do last time I was in this crisis? Well, I listened to myself and I got myself out. Yeah. So it's like, it creates this trust with yourself. And that's my 100% like the thing that's made me the most happiest in my entire life. That's awesome. And 26 is still so young. (laughs) That's what I keep thinking. I'm like, I I think I need to remember, like, my mom is, like, how old? And she still doesn't know who she is. So I need to be like, you know, you figured it out. So Yeah, if it makes you feel any better, I know a lot of people who are never part of any religious organization and it still took them much longer than that to figure out who they were so <laughs> so I guess yeah it probably uh pushed the progress and progression for me so. yeah yeah so that's that's awesome uh I would say for me uh I think uh self-accomplishments is the most healing thing for me yeah like leaving that and realizing that I can do this at 17 and I left I left with a boy and we lived together, we split rent, but I always covered my car payment, I always covered my bills, and I always covered my own rent. Like, I was very strict on that. Even when he was like, I can help, I was like, no. Because I needed that. Mm-hmm. I need to know that, like, I can take care of that little kid inside of me, mm-hmm. no matter what. Yeah. So, like, now I think it's self-accomplishments. The more I accomplish, mm-hmm. the more confident I get, the more healed I get, the more I find myself. Yeah. Because then you look back like, wow, at 17, I was doing all this stuff. People people my age now can't even do that stuff. <laughs> I know. In high school, I went to high school for two months after I left. It was mm. my first public experience. I didn't wow. stay because I couldn't work and do it. I couldn't mm. support myself. Yeah. But kids are like, oh, my God, I have to pay my phone bill. And I was like, you lucky bitch. Yeah, <laughs> like, you get to have a phone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's cool, though. Self-accomplishment. What yeah. about? What's yours? <laughs> I'd say the most healing has been um, and fruitful experiences. I would say being able to go through my spiritual experience with Sam 
mm-hmm. and like doing it with my husband um, has been so fruitful for like our marriage is so much stronger than it's ever been and I always felt like we had a really solid relationship honestly and so to see like that grow and become like even more fruitful is really cool and I'd say our view on just like accepting and loving people regardless of their um their spiritual experiences Mm -hmm. and being able to like feel like I truly honor people's experiences more than what I ever did before I never now look at people's experiences when they share them and think yeah but they'd be so much happier if they were LDS or look at that happy person but can you imagine if they had the gospel in their lives Mm -hmm. or look at that oh yeah I understand they had that experience but that couldn't have been the spirit exactly so like what if they had the spirit like there's always that sense of like somehow I could make their life better with something I knew and instead just like loving people for who they are and where they are has like brought so much more peace and joy mm-hmm. I think to Sammy. I, w- I feel like that I kind of went through the same thing with like this finally finding myself loving myself. It's weird. The more you love yourself, the more you can love the world. It's oh. such a weird thing. So now yeah. when people are like negative and mean to me, I just know that they're probably negative and mean to themselves because it really is, it's a reflection of yourself. That's so true. I think that anytime someone reacts to you, it's like you cannot recognize something in someone unless you have it in yourself. Mm -hmm. I believe that. So if someone comes at you, they're reacting to themselves, not you. Exactly. It took me a long time to figure that out. I was like, why is that person so mean? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't know if this goes along with thriving too. And you'll have to tell me if you guys feel the same. I feel like now... Sam and I are so much more open to, like, general knowledge. Like, scientific knowledge Mm -hmm. has been, like, exciting in our lives. And, like, our daughter asks all these questions. And we go and we can find the answers. And, like, I don't have to try to, like, skirt around things anymore. And I can search for, like, things that actually have just regular truth without Mm -hmm. having to look at it through a certain worldview. Right. Because do you think before, like, maybe when you looked at science, it was more like um, a, like... A suggestion? <laughs> oh, oh my gosh! Yeah, perfect example is dinosaurs. Oh, right? yeah. like when they're like, oh, dinosaurs were 1.6 billion years ago, and I was like, I always had in my head, oh, they'll find out someday that that timeline was wrong, or yeah, they probably just haven't figured out the method and their days are off, or God created the world and maybe it was billions of years, or maybe it was just like different than our time is now. Like I always had those thoughts anytime we would like look at anything scientific because you have to fit it into like Your belief the world's ten thousand years old. Yep. So something could be one point six, and so I feel like that for our children has made me like so happy that getting to teach them with like a completely open worldview where we don't have to try to like take science and make it fit in here, and take geography in here, and take history and fit it in here, and instead of like trying to make all these things fit into what I believe or what the church says, we're just like more accepting of, you know what, that geologist has spent the last 50 years studying rocks probably knows more than I do yep. <laughs> about how old that rock is. And I can just like respect and honor and be like, that is so cool that you know so much about that rock. And yep. I will take what you say, you know what I mean? Or mm-hmm. anything or that fossil or this or that. So that's been kind of something that's been like mind blowing to just be able to like fully accept things for how they are. Right. Do you guys ever think that? Like with, I don't know. Uh, I do. In my religion, we did not believe in science at all. Mm-hmm. Like, oh. you know, the earth was created, so there's multiple... This is weird, because they believe in one God, but it's, it's one God for this earth. Mm-hmm. So there are multiple earths, and there are multiple gods. Our God called other gods to help him create this earth, and they spent 7,000 years creating the earth, or 6,000 years creating the earth, and then the seventh year, because, you know... Yeah, the, the seventh, seventh days were seventh a, days. a thousand years, right? He rested, which is why it's Sunday. Yeah. But, like, for God, one day is a thousand years. 
Okay. See, I've heard people try to make a timeline before, and then, like, the LDS church kind of shied away from that, from, like, trying to have too close of a timeline because science could, like, continue to prove different timelines and not right. So then it ended up into a, like, we don't know God's timeline. And God's timeline is different than ours, and the world could have had its own timeline. You just kind of have to accept that, like, there can't be a timeline. But then, like, I remember searching, like, on other store and being like, but do we believe in, like, creational, like, creationism? Like, do we believe the, the timeline of the Bible? And when you'd go and you'd, like, look into that stuff, they'd be like, yes, we do. And I'm like, well, then that's pretty straightforward. Yeah, we believe yeah, that yeah. the Earth uh, is, is only 6,000 years old. Oh, 6,000? Yes. Not even the full 10? Why? 6,000. And in the 7,000 year, the destructions were going to happen. There was going to be a 1,000 years of peace on the Earth where we would teach the gospel to everyone else. We'd be lifted up first. That plot of land of the creek where everybody oh, yeah. was so faithful. <laughs> and then we would be placed back onto the earth. The 12 tribes would return. Mm-hmm. And there would be a thousand years of peace, which would be the millennium. So that was all wrapped around, like, the creation of the earth. Yes. Even. Wow, I hadn't heard that theory before. That's when... So did you guys remember here, like... I remember them teaching, like, when you hear the trumpets and, like, the end... Yes. The end of, they, they were very revolved around the end of times are coming. I feel like a like lot of, of cults, yeah, are very much like, and you're going to be so grateful that you're in the order because you're going to be protected. Like yes. people are going to be praying and wishing that they could be a part of this. Yeah, and, I and the destructions thinking, wow. were like, you know, tornadoes and earthquakes mm-hmm. and different things, and that was the destructions happening. When yeah. really that's been happening for millions of years. Yep. <laughs> so. mm-hmm. It's very fear-based for sure. It is. <laughs> that's one thing that uh, took me a long time too. Is like. The fear, even in my relationship, I left with someone and was with them for almost five years. Mm-hmm. And the fear of like, it was everywhere in our lives, even in the fear of going out and getting a job. Everything was fear-based yeah. because of growing up that way. And it, I had to get past that. Mm-hmm. So, that was me too. It was, was definitely like, um, I thought it was normal though to just be f- afraid of everything. <laughs> that's, yeah, you're in yeah. flight mode and you actually, your brain cannot mature. Yeah. Or yeah, in survival. And yeah, I think that that's why I didn't know myself for so long because I was in survival mode because that's that's what we were raised in. So that was what was normal. And then to finally get out of survival mode and heal then you're like, wow, why have I been living like that? Yeah, but. now it's like I feel like I could pick up and move to Florida if I wanted to tomorrow mm-hmm. and figure it out. It's like so I did that. Insane. I moved to Vegas <laughs> and I quit my salary job, moved to Vegas, got my real estate license, and I'm like, no matter what, I'll figure it out. Yeah. And I have that knowledge that I can do it no matter what. Mm-hmm. Whereas before it was like, what if all these things happen? What if I don't make enough money? What if I can't feed myself? Mm-hmm. You know what? Yep. Who cares? I'll figure it out. There's yep. always ways to make money. I got to the point where I'm like, what if I die tomorrow? <laughs> like, yeah. Just live your life. If you live your life in fear, you're not living at all. So. You're not. Absolutely. Um, so excited for this. Oh, my favorite YouTube ladies. My question is, what do you feel it would take for the women to leave the cult and take their children with them? Oh, that's such a hard question. I would say it's... It's very individual. Mm-hmm. It would take their own belief system being shattered. You can't force someone to see it for themselves, and you can't force someone to want it for themselves. They have to find it for themselves. Like, my mom left. Like, we got her to leave with the kids, and six months later, she went back. And, like, I remember beating myself up. Like, what could I have done more? And, like, I, I was taking the responsibility too much on myself when I don't have control over what, where she's at. And I always go back to that, was it a Mark Twain quote where it's like, it's easier to fool someone than to convince them that they've been fooled. Because Mm -hmm. I think it's a pride thing. Like, what's my mom going to do? Believe that her entire life was a lie? That's really hard to do. It (laughs) is. It's so hard, especially if you're not, yeah, if you're not ready. Mm -hmm. I mean, I didn't have to like physically leave anything like you guys did. 
Um, but you did have to take your kids out and like it was like leaving a situation that you were raised in your whole and, life. And disappointing a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I always say like I'd much rather have someone be furious at me than to be disappointed. And I mm -hmm. think when you leave the LDS church, it's the disappointment that's the hard part. Like more than like, like I said, seriously, I w wish that people would just be like mad. Um, mm -hmm. More than the disappointment or like knowing that they're like praying hard for you to come back all the time or that you're on the temple rolls, which is where you'd like write people's names yeah. for them to pray for in the temple. And I mean, now I've gotten to the point where I'm like, you know, you can bring me all the cookies and pray for me all you want. I'm super happy like with yeah. extra prayers. Like I'll take extra prayers any day, but like it's a disappointment part of it that makes it a little bit like mm -hmm. tougher to be able to separate. But I think you're right that like nobody can ever, like when Sam and I, when we had our journey, you know, I tried to not really ever share much of that journey with anyone else because I was like, I don't ever want to be the reason that somebody else leaves unless they're coming and asking questions. Mm -hmm. if, they because if they have, have if they already have their own stuff, then mm -hmm. that then maybe I can be a resource for them. So like letting people know that I can be a resource without anyone ever feeling like I'm trying to spout off stuff. Because yeah. when you learn things for yourself in whatever religion or group or cult or whatever it is. No matter what, if you just go and you start spouting off everything, no one's going to be able to take that in. Right. It's and true. so, you know, at this point, I, I had a conversation with my mom recently who is still active LDS. And um, I think I said, I was like, well, yeah, but you at least know why I left though, right? And she was like, not really. And it's been a couple of years now and her and I have had like some good talks and stuff. And I was like... Like, if one of your friends asked you, like, hey, why did your daughter leave the LDS church? You would be able to give them an answer. And she said no. And I realized it's because in every conversation I've had with her, I've shared, like, little things that I thought that she could handle without me ever wanting to hurt her. Yeah. And I was like, okay, that actually makes sense. Like, I've been sharing, you know, when a conversation come up about a specific topic, I would give, like, a tiny little breadcrumb would be like, oh, this is how I feel about that mm -hmm. one topic without ever giving the full picture because right. I was scared of hurting her. Yeah. And so I was like, well, are you ready to hear now so that you at least have that for yourself and you know my reasons? And she said yes, and we're able to have an awesome conversation and be open yeah. and vulnerable about that. But I know that, like, when it was first happening, the pain of me leaving was so much that she wasn't ready for that answer. Mm -hmm. She would not have been okay for me to share even a very simplified version, like mm -hmm. a wrapped up in the present version yeah. of why I was leaving. She wasn't, she wouldn't have been ready for that a couple of years ago. That's very similar to like, but I think I, when I left, I did try to like make my mom understand. I'm like, mom, like, I don't want to marry my cousin. I don't want to live the life that you live. You're not even happy. Like, but it's, it, the same thing happened. Like she didn't understand. It was too much for her. It's almost like you're talking a different language to yeah. them. And yeah. But I guess the answer to that question is you, you're the example, right? You, you left because you knew for yourself it wasn't what you wanted. You didn't believe in it. Your kids, you didn't want that. So at the end of the day, the person has to find it for themselves. I think it's a lot harder, sadly, for the women who already have kids because they have all that pressure. My mom, the reason why she went back is because they were saying, oh, you're really going to take heaven from your kids too. So mm -hmm. it's like, at the end of the day, um, they have to really, really, really believe it. <laughs> yeah. But. Yeah, you do. You have to just find it for yourself. My mom doesn't even want to hear things because she's still in. Do you have a relationship with your mom? It's very, it's very like, strained. Um, I can talk to her sometimes, but she gets in trouble if she talks to me and they move her every time I find out where she oh. lives. That being said, I did find out where she lives. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say that. <laughs> so they might, they might move her. It's fine. I'll find her again. I do every time. <laughs> At this point, it's just a part of my life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think 
one thing that's awesome that I love that like you have a YouTube channel and that you're on social media and sharing too is I feel like um, I've heard like rumors of some of Sam's sisters and people like that are on the outside that have started watching mm-hmm. and those type of things. Then like kind of goes back to the if someone was to leave the Kingston group, they know that you're a resource there for yeah. them when they're ready to hear those things. Mm-hmm. They know okay, I can go and start watching those YouTube videos and see what she's really saying. Like, when people are ready to hear those type of things, if they know that they have access to right. those people, I think like, that's that huge. That, that's a big reason why I started my YouTube channel. It was, like, two years ago that I started. But, like, I was on the show, like, 18 years old. I was, like, literally less than a year. I was, like, contacted by producers, and I was like, yep, let's do this. Because it was, like, the second you leave, and maybe this is similar in the FLDS, they paint out a story of your story. And that's the story in the cult, that they get to hear about you, whatever it is. And so I was like, I want, first of all, the truth to be out there. And second of all, them to know that there's a life outside. Yeah. Like, and that's why I feel like the YouTubes really helps to be like, look, this is what's happening right now. This is the truth. So like you and just like that, they don't have to listen if they don't want to. But the ones that are ready are going to like growing up in polygamy. <laughs> go find it. Okay, that is crazy because I was also I was 17 and I was also contacted through holding out help really? to be on the Escaping Polygamy show. And I turned it down. Because I didn't was... know the truth about Warren. I didn't know. I just left because I wanted a better life. Oh, did you still kind of believe in Warren when you left? No, I did not. Mm-hmm. But I did not know the truth of him. Yeah. I, at this point, I was like, you know what? I just, I want my own life. I want my own stuff. I want to choose who I can marry. Mm-hmm. I don't want that. I don't believe that he is right for me. I, I still believe that he was probably a leader and still a prophet to some. Mm-hmm. But I believe that everyone saves themselves and you do that through whether it's the religion you believe in or your self-beliefs. But for me, it just wasn't it wasn't right for me. And so yeah. I turned it down. I was like, no, I'm, I'm just going to do it silently. I don't want to hurt my family. I don't yeah. want to. And I was very catered to the people that were in. Yep. And there was a million stories going on. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know the small town. Oh, yeah. It is, being, being in a cult is like a small town. Everybody knows everything and then some about you. You're like, wait, wait, can you tell me about that? I didn't even know that I did that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Everybody, everybody's got their stories, that's for sure. <laughs> um... Oh, this one's sweet. Just said, excited about the women's panel. All the questions I read in the comment section here are good ones. Can't wait to see the video. Um, obviously, just as much as y'all are comfortable sharing on the topic from Sophie Norman, says, how are your relationships with your parents and family since leaving or taking a step back from the religions? Um, I actually just did a podcast episode um, about this on my podcast. Cult- we'll link it. Cult we'll Crew Podcast. It. Go watch it. Yeah, go watch um, it. We'll link it. Episode five, if you want to like know more about this in depth. I just recently realized that I was just like that, putting so much on myself. Like it's my responsibility to get them out and I need to be there for them. And um, I realized that the whole relationship was my mom would call me only when she wanted to. I wasn't allowed to come home for holidays. Like I, I was so available for her and ready for her to just slam the door in my face all the time. The rejection was like a normal thing. And I got to the point where I was like, I would never have a friend in my life treat me as negative and poor as my family have treated me and keep welcoming them in my life and giving them all this energy and support and not getting anything back. So I just like last week actually was like, I'm not cutting you off, mom. I love you, but I need to put this boundary up and protect myself the way you never did. Because there was things that happened as a child that she could have protected me from, and she didn't, and she even put me in harm's way. Never, like, apologized for it, never acknowledged it, and then expects me to be there for her when she needs me. Mm-hmm. So I kind of, I put her in this, like, it sounds sad, and I still feel kind of guilty for it, but at the same time, I feel freed from it a little bit. Like, she's now an acquaintance, 
when she's ready to apologize and ready to be like, look, I'm going to give you the same respect that you've given me these years, you know, then we can have that relationship. But for the past eight years, I was like, slap me in the face. I don't care. Like, I want to be a part of my family. But it's like, they don't want, if they don't want me, then I'm not going to force myself into it. I guess that's interesting because for me, it's kind of a little bit the same. However, I think my mom has driven me to a lot of like, you know, that's the reason I want to be successful is, I mean, mm-hmm. I, for myself, obviously, but I want to, you know, help her out. And, but to at the same time, to be able to take care of that. I had that same thing, <clears throat> but it's also your mom. It's just like that. They're moving her around. You don't yeah. know where she's at. My mom recently, like, wouldn't tell me where she's living. And I'm like, it's so hard to be your daughter. <laughs> <laughs> but like now my goal is to match the energy like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. If you want to call me, you know how to contact me. I will, I reach out sometimes. Mm-hmm. But now it's like I don't I don't give her money anymore. Um, mm-hmm. I will honestly if she desperately needed it, I know I still would. Yeah, believe it or not, do, because I love she, her. Um, does she answer your phone calls, or is it usually all, only on her terms? She answers them off and on, but usually yeah. yes. So that is a good thing, and I do know she loves me. She expresses that, and I know like she has bipolar, and so she feels like she cannot support herself, which is I think why she's still in. I, I hate diagnosing my mom, but I feel like my mom has bipolar. But I think it really is just like she's this one person that really wants to love her kids and be a good mom. And then there's the cult version of her that she needs to like abide by. And so that feels bipolar. Yeah, that's my mom. She was actually diagnosed though. Really? Yes. Did they go to doctors and do that? When she was way younger, yes. Oh, so it was okay. probably back in the 90s. And then later we had like our own doctors and our own ways of healing and it was mm-hmm. essential oils and prayers, not as yeah. much medication. Essential oils. <laughs> we got doctors. We were... <laughs> but we That's did, yes. I, we did still, like if there was anything severe, like we did use doctors still. Okay. So but then... a lot, they tried to cut it more as, you know, they would appoint people to go get the doctors or mm-hmm. degree and stuff and they would try to keep it in the cult same with the police everything they tried to keep everything in the community yeah so we had midwives and stuff that were in the community yep, that's very similar with us then so then with your mom though you're not allowed to come home for christmas you're not welcome for holidays oh we don't do christmas we don't do oh, holidays. Don't do holidays. oh yeah i forgot <laughs> thanksgiving fourth of july uh fourth of july here and there but not really um we were actually told to not watch fireworks for a long time. Like, I'd sneak outside and watch the fireworks because they were bad. Because they would spark a light in your brain maybe. <laughs> or something, yeah. But uh, Thanksgiving, we always did kind of believe in, but it was very different. We had to eat fish for Thanksgiving. Oh, okay. And this was something Warren actually changed. So he told us to eat fish, certain foods for Thanksgiving. We could not have turkey, which is crazy. Turkey is delicious. It's Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, they did believe in Thanksgiving, but that is about it. And it was a time mm-hmm. of thanking the Lord for his blessings, and right. it was all about religion. It was, it was family not. Thing, though, yes. Right? So it was just the, the family. The four years that you've been out, have you been able to participate? Or no. No. Oh, okay. So it's very similar to my relationship with my mom then. <laughs> yeah. What about with you then? Because you chose to leave. Yeah. So for my family, it was split because my dad had come out as an atheist a couple of years before we. Well, like four or five years before, so quite a bit ways before. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he was thrilled. My mom is still active, so she was really hurt. It was really hard. And they're still married. They still are married. That's they're actually like doing. I know everyone says that. Uh, it took a lot of work and the almost divorce a couple times oh, where sure. they got really close. Um, but they're actually doing really, really well right now. And she's still active. And she's and still active, and wow. he's still atheist, and they've figured it out and worked it out and doing a lot better. So. They're doing great now, um, but they, so, and then it was really, really hard on my mom, and it's definitely, like, 
baby steps talking mm-hmm. to her more and more. And I feel like now her and I have gotten to a place where I can be a lot more open and honest with her about how I feel, which has made a huge difference for me. Um, but I would say that it's, I mean, it's been like three years since we have been like completely out, almost three years. Mm-hmm. So it definitely has taken time. Um, Sam's family, it was really, really, really hard on them. <laughs> the, do- the adoptive family that like helped introduce him to the LDS. Oh. That was very hard, but I feel like now over time, like we've gotten into a good place with them too. So we were really lucky. It definitely, it didn't ruin any relationships. It strained some relationships, mm-hmm. definitely put a lot of pressure on some relationships. Um, but overall, I think, yeah, just the overall time and then realizing that we weren't going to like change as people. Because I know, and, and we could totally understand because we had had friends and family that had left when we were still fully believing. And it always seemed like they would like change so much or you just felt like uncomfortable around it. Like, I don't know. It just felt like there was this like, huge divide. And so when we left, we knew we did not want it to be like that. We did not want anyone to feel uncomfortable with our presence or do things that would make them feel uncomfortable or we just want them to realize like we are the same people we just now have a different belief than you and mm-hmm. having different beliefs than other people is normal and fine yeah you it doesn't need, <laughs> it doesn't need to be a scary thing right mm-hmm. um and most people on a daily basis are not talking about their spiritual beliefs yeah in <laughs> you know? utah though they are that's well, <laughs> true and he taught us and in really active homes they do as well but mm-hmm. we also let them know like if we're in your house like you don't have to feel like you can't pray around it. Like, yeah. you're more than happy to be there for for family prayers. Like, prayers don't offend us. You don't need to be worried about talking about how church was. Like, we get that. We feel that. We understand that. Mm-hmm. And so I think once all of our family members realized that, like, they didn't have to do something differently to make us feel comfortable and we weren't going to do anything differently to have to make them feel comfortable and everything could be mm-hmm. pretty normal, um, that's definitely made a big difference. But okay. it definitely took a lot of like them realizing that because I've seen a lot of the other ways you see a lot of people that I don't know change a lot mm-hmm. but not necessarily for the worst okay this one next this was someone asked you on your yes page. okay yes so um would love to hear you ladies talk about how has the perception of your body and relationship to modesty and sexuality changed since leaving that's a really, really good question. I'm guys. really interested in your answer because of the you had to wear the dresses and they all had to be homemade. Yeah, right? I think you should start doing on that one. Um, I think uh, well, a lot has changed, honestly. Um, I I always hated the dresses, even when I was there. Like I said, I was a re- I was a rebellious kid. My mom went through hell with me. Um, but since I've left, I guess I went through a phase of insecurity about, like, my body and sex in general because we were taught it was bad. Mm-hmm. Like, any sexual relations, even kissing before marriage is bad yeah. and restricted. So I went through a phase where, you know, I dated someone for a long time, was committed, and I was 100% in. And then when we started having problems in the relationship, I started seeking attention from other people because of these insecurities. Mm-hmm. And so I went through a phase where... I kissed a lot of people, and then I kind of took back what now I consider is a power, and it's, it's, uh, how do you say it's, it's kind of sacred to me. Now I choose, like, you know, how I can dress. Mm -hmm. I choose to dress, you know. How you're comfortable. How I'm comfortable, and that isn't, like, I went through what you could consider a slutty phase where I liked wearing very, like, revealing clothes because it was fun, and I'm not against that, but now I choose to be a little more, just because that's the way I want people to respect me and see me. And my sexual relations um, are very sacred to me. Yeah. 
they're just for me and whoever I choose. Yeah. And I went through a hard period and I lost a lot of people because of that period of not mm-hmm. respecting relationships. So now for me, it's sacred. It's my power and I choose the way yeah. people see me, the way I live my sex life, and the way I dress. Yeah. I feel good. like I feel like it's it seems like, and this is just an outsider's opinion, so you have to tell me if it's true or not, but I see like a lot of times when women first leave the FLDS that they do, they almost have to go to that other extreme to be able to find their happy middle ground. And I feel like that happens in a lot, like not just like sexually or modestly, but I feel like you see that a lot when anyone leaves like one extreme, it's so common that they (laughs) got to go to the other extreme. And then they realize that like, okay, wait, I can find this happy middle of like where I actually want to be. Mm -hmm. But when you leave one, you want the complete freedom. And I remember talking to um, somebody else that had left FLDS and it kind of broke my heart a little bit, but I can also understand, you know, she said, you know, when you're leaving and you have like no sex education, she goes, I didn't know that people on the outside who we were told were evil and whores and all these awful things about anybody who's on the outside. She goes, I didn't know when I started dating that it wasn't normal to have sex on every first date. Same for me. Me and my first boyfriend, we didn't have sex for eight months yeah. of our relationship. Eight think, months. Yeah. I yeah. think a lot so, of us go through, and that's why, I think I was talking to you guys about this earlier, um, it's very common in, you see an ex-FLDS, ex-order members, even ex-AUB like women will get pregnant really quick because they also i i kind of I, I like to look at the psychological side of it too because we all have daddy issues because we didn't have a very prominent father figure and we also had the father figure we had um i mean i don't I, maybe i'm not gonna speak for you but as far as for me uh and i don't know you you had three moms too yeah and real dad was kicked out stepdad yeah. was kicked out very many so, <laughs> issues for me it was like the only man in, that i was allowed to have in my life right because we weren't allowed to kiss we weren't allowed to have any relations till you're married and your father's supposed to be the one to help you find that person he was this person that said this is what a relationship looks like he put my mom down he was not a very good father or a good uh husband so then i would gravitate towards those red flags and then i think that i'm just like I'm just going to generalize people that come from cults, women that come from cults that don't get the therapy and the help. They fall into a this pattern of running to those red flags and then they mm. with that with the no sex education, they get pregnant and they get stuck with these shady guys. And another thing is for me, like, you know, we were still in and that's why we didn't have sex for 8 months, but as soon as we left, Every single person that I had got to know would be like, everybody has sex on the first date. So even if I didn't feel comfortable with it, I would be insecure. And I'd be like, mm-hmm. okay, if I don't give him sex, he's not going to stick around. Yep. yep. And, yeah. and it's a, it's a, I think it's something that's internal, especially when you don't know yourself. And so you feel like um, you have to like go with the crowd. Same, same with when you're in the cult, you're going with that crowd. Yeah. Then you come out here and you're like, this is the norm. Okay. And then you're like, but I'm not happy doing either of those. Well, but it's and, like now, and then you like, realize that like most normal people, that is not the norm actually, yep. right? Mm-hmm. But because you guys only see like the extreme of the other side where you're told that everybody is evil and doing all these awful things all the time, it's so easy for them to fall into the trap of like, well, everyone said that everyone's partying and drinking and doing drugs and sleeping around all the time. That's what the outside world looks like. Mm-hmm. So you don't realize that, like most people in the middle, no, you don't have sex on yep. every first date. And I'm like, but I can totally see how they fall into that trap so easily. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, at least for me, cause you know, I'm definitely an exception to this rule. Like, nope, had, you know, great dad, no issues there. Mar- just normal marriage. <laughs> yeah. you know, like, um, I'm super, super lucky in that sense. 
but whenever I see these girls like come out now, I told Sam recently, I was like, you know, I had never thought before to kind of maybe mention and help those women know what more normal looks like. Because yeah. you think like when you've grown up in the real world, you just assume some things that like everybody would know, like normal dating norms. Like mm-hmm. I would never think of like, oh, if someone comes out, yeah, we've like helped people talk about finances and like getting cars and helping them get on their feet like financially and finding jobs and things like that. I was like, we might need to start like talking to people more about what is normal and what is not in the dating mm-hmm. scene because it yeah. seems Definitely, like a lot yes. of women are taken advantage of because they don't know because they don't yep. know that they can access contraceptives let alone the fact that they can contraceptives for free yep i want to do a whole video on that because in utah you can go to planned parenthood and yes. get free birth control i yeah. i would love to be on that because that was mm-hmm. one thing for me uh but now i think like it took me a long time to get to that stage but now like in the relationship i'm in i don't think we had sex for a whole month at first just because I was like you know what I'm doing this for me I'm taking it at my pace I'm not ready for anything serious I'm just going to relax Mm -hmm. and I think people should be more like that where it's like I'm I'm not going to say don't have sex if you don't want to but I in my experience healthy relationships come from getting to know each other Mm -hmm. first it's also before getting to know them yeah it's consensual whatever you want it to be but you just have to make sure that it's not that people understand um, what consent actually is. Yep. Yes. What consent actually is and that it's actually something that you're comfortable for, like comfortable with and that it's something that you're doing, like you said, not because of daddy issues, but mm-hmm. trying to recognize but, in yourself yeah. like where I think the biggest thing, and for me, because I was married for seven years, right? I think that the biggest thing, because I realized that it was that I did not know myself. So how can you have a relationship with someone and have them know you and love you if you don't know yourself and love yourself? So then it starts to be like, I don't think anyone should be in a relationship, a serious one, or honestly any relationship if you don't know yourself. Because what are you looking for if you don't know what you who you are? You don't know what you're looking for. That yeah. is a big thing. And another thing I wanted to address is like, obviously, everybody take it at your own pace. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yes, I think uh, for me, as soon as I got my self-confidence... I didn't want exterior validation. I didn't mm-hmm. want sex for validation. I, I didn't need that. It just kind of fell off and it wasn't mm-hmm. even a thing anymore. And so I think just that, like you said, the healthy relation with yourself is where it needs to start. Yeah. I think that that's what it all boils down and to. And all the problems will solve. doesn't matter when you decide mm-hmm. to have sex in your relationship. All those problems won't exist because you know who you are inside. Exactly. What was the question? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um... <clears throat> I did we already, answer it? <laughs> did, we, did we answer the question? Uh, we did. I guess bodies, right? We yeah, started, bodies okay, and sexuality yeah, yeah. and how that's changed as you left. I think we got that one. Um, I'm gonna. We are, of course, going longer than what we expected, which is also kind of what we expected. So I'll just kind of do. Um, kind of go through here. Oh, here. What's? What are some of the things that aren't bad about how you're raised that are traditions you'll want to continue with your own kids? Hmm. I think my work ethic. Yeah. That is something that helped me to be able to attack the outside world was because I was work. Well, I'm not going to make my kids work at five years old. I am not either. (laughs) But I will definitely, I'm not going to um, just give them, you know, like, like I want them to be able to know the value of work for sure. But definitely there's a lot more that I'm not going to bring from my childhood and, you know. Oh, for sure. (laughs) I think another thing is like, I'm a really good cook. Because I've been cooking since I was five. Mm. That's one thing. FLDS girls, we did not get that trait. Like, I can barely cook like a microwave meal. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but 
no, I, I, young I can do the 10 yards. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I so love that. Like, I embrace that. In fact, I always try to find things about my past that I can celebrate because it helps me accept me. Yeah. yeah. So there are good and there are bad. Yeah, that's that's good. I guess I, maybe I should look more at the um, the positive sides. I did like that we, I mean, when I was considered a part of fa- the family, we were very close. Yeah. Um, so that would be something. the biggest thing from the LDS that I would mm-hmm. say is like the emphasis and the importance on family and family home evenings and family time and the emphasis on family, definitely something mm-hmm. that we hold on to. We I, still have family night. Like it doesn't have to be on Mondays, like not as strictly as like LDS, but we call it family date night and we try to go on a family date night with our kids and let them choose where we're going to go out to eat and like activities and stuff. And, you know, we may not do like scripture time at the beginning or like a talk like in the LDS, but the family time and the like having that night every single week, we still continue that on and love it. Yeah. I guess yeah. another one for me would be, uh, I love that. I feel like that I could be a mom. Like I can take care of a kid. I can take care of an infant. I, I've been doing it since I was seven. Yep. yep. <laughs> and it was a lot of responsibility. I hated it while doing it. I have eight younger siblings, mm-hmm. but I love that I have that knowledge. That's funny. And You're, that confidence. You have three moms. I have eight younger siblings. My mom had 10 kids. My mom had eight. Oh, okay. So you were the oldest. No. Wait, what? So that's three siblings from both. From the oh, three like moms. halves. Oh, yes. okay, okay, okay. I so I have three younger than me from my mom. Okay. And then the other mom had twins, you know, a couple boys. So in all, there was eight younger than me. Okay, okay. Hmm. That's cool. But no, I was I was one of the younger ones. Wow. So. so that's one thing we all have in common is the, the family. The family. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very close. <laughs> um, if women in the groups weren't able to get pregnant, what would happen to them? I, I, I mean, I don't know if it's different with the two of us, but for us, it was definitely, I've talked about this before, you are treated like a broken tool. Like, you have one job and you can't mm-hmm. even do that. So there was times where they would have the women go, like, basically go try to get treatments or something, like fix the brokenness that you are. And a lot of times when it was the man's fault, they still would blame the women. Like, they would just assume it was the woman's ovaries or something. So mm-hmm. then they're treated like a broken tool. You'll see the husband go around less and less because, well, what's the point, you know? And then they kind of are just... First aside. Yep. That is so sad. I think for me, uh, they weren't really considered broken, but they did go through a lot of treatments. So yes, kind of, I guess, I mean, they made them go through their fertility treatments and all of that to try and have children. But like my aunt, she passed away from cancer in 2020, mm-hmm. uh, October, but she was never, she could Good never have case. children. So she became a nurse. A nurse? Oh, yes. Okay. So she found her calling, I guess, somewhere else. But um, I guess I uh, wonder if you guys had this in common where they would feel very guilty, the women would. Like, they did something wrong. Yes, they did. In fact, that was normal. They were always like, why would God not allow me to have children? Like, did I do something wrong? That was, yes, that was very normal. Mm -hmm. I don't think it was ever, like, abused or, like, you can't have kids because of that. They tried to stay away from blame. Yeah. But the women inside, because that is our only purpose in life, is to bring more souls into this world and raise them in the gospel, you do. You feel very broken when you can't have children. I I wonder, too, if that's because you guys also grew up being like what a what a blessing to be a mother in zion right <laughs> yeah it's very very um definitely not church shamed at all like and it's never really like i think the the lds church again with it being that they're like very progressive um you'll get to have children in the next life basically is what we were taught that is as given well. hope oh, as far cool. as that goes and that um yeah it's definitely looked at completely medically Mm-hmm. It was never a, you did something wrong, you don't deserve children. 
nothing like that. Um, it definitely still was like absolutely heartbreaking because most people, most women in the LDS, like, yeah, they do value that part. They've been told their entire lives how being a mother is so important and that experience on this earth. And so, um, but again, they have access to medical treatment. So a lot of women do go and get the treatment and end up having children anyway, or the um, LDS church also started an adoption agency. So there's a lot of LDS adoptions oh, wow. because they had their complete own agency to be able to help women. So I'd say when it came to that, I, I wouldn't say there was any shame put by the church itself mm-hmm. onto women. Women obviously felt sad and heartbroken if they weren't able to fulfill it, but I wouldn't consider there being any shame from the church. I have a question for you. Did you guys believe in selling children to parents as well if you adopt a child, selling the child to the parent? Absolutely. Because we believed in that as well. Yep. That was the only time that children were in the temple before they were adults is to be sealed to their parents. So, yep. If there were any adoptions, then they would go in, they'd get to be sealed, and yeah, that was the thing. Yeah, we believed that as well. So, I think that helped some women cope with it. Like if you can adopt a child and have it sold to you, that is your child. Yeah, time exa- exactly, exactly. It wasn't, yeah, adoption was very, is very common. It's also very common for like um, LDS teenagers. If they do get pregnant, it's very common for them to use the adoption agency and have wow. um, children be adopted out rather than like, obviously they don't believe in abortion. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's part of like going into the adoption agency where like since they don't have abortions, Mm -hmm. then, you know, if you are a teenager and you're not ready for that or decide not to have your child, then you put them up with the Mormon adoption agency. And then they go to other Mormon families. That you said abortion. I'm wondering if this question's hot topic. Sorry. (laughs) No, this one this one probably won't be that big of a deal because it's it's way less than abortion. Even uh, condoms and and contraceptive was that a no no? For me, yes, very much. Mm-hmm. Any sort of birth prevention was considered murder of unborn. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what we were taught, and it was like, uh, I remember giving, so my sister got married in the group, she ended up leaving and getting divorced, but I came to her like secret bachelorette party, and I brought condoms, because I, I thought that was like a funny thing to give her, and when my half-brother found out, he he like kind of scolded me, and was like, in a joking way, but in kind of serious way, it was like, I should just poke con- poke holes in these condoms so that I can tell the kids that you're here because of me. And he thought it was so funny, but it was also like very like, no, no, you don't talk about that. If you're, if you're married and using condoms, why, you know? I have another question. Was self-gratification li- like bad? Self-gratification? Masturbation. Like oh. masturbation, sorry. <laughs> I was like, what? I yes. <laughs> um, I just remember like, I didn't even really have the tampon talk or like, well, they would say oh, like, neither it, did we. <laughs> when, when I tried to go get a tampon out of my mom's room, like she would have this, she was talking about the hymen, how like, if you break the hymen, that's like your virginity. And mm-hmm. I was like, what? <laughs> and it's like your husband's gift. Like who, who cares? But like, so that was weird. And then also it was like, you would, I, I just remember feeling very ashamed. Even like when I would shower, like I would be very quick with the private area if, if I'm going to be cleaning myself. Like, I felt like I didn't even have control over my own body because of the way that they made us feel so shameful and so sexualized. For us, it was bad to even look at our naked bodies in the mirror. Really? Yes. They never talked to us like that, but there was these talks about, like, you know, no pornography, no, like, you knew and you Mm -hmm. were shamed for just like that. Like, you can't wear, like, even your clothing had something to do with, like, you're being impure, like, by dressing a certain way. Yeah, we're definitely, that was one thing that LDS, like, that our modesty was definitely encouraged to 
help the boys. Like it was always about making sure that the men didn't have impure thoughts, mm. which is like, that's definitely <laughs> I'm one so thing. so anti that. I know, right? You know, cause as, as if men don't have control, right? Why would I <laughs> want to marry a man who can't even control his thoughts because of what a woman's wearing? Like, yeah. and have children with that. Yeah, we're, no. we're setting the bar so low. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Believe it or not, I, you know, I, I said that I was LDS yeah. a little bit for a couple months. The breaking point was the clothing for me. Oh. Because I was like, this is too close to home. I am out. And Temple it was, garments or what? No, just the, like, no shoulders showing. And there was a talk. One of the elders got up and was like, if a woman dresses, like, inappropriate, she is walking pornography. She is the problem. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. literally in the LDS church. It, it went viral on TikTok. A lot. Yes, it did. Um... But that talk specifically was a trigger for me, and I was like, nope. Mm-hmm. And I get, like, you don't walk down the street naked. There's, there's like, obvious <laughs> things, but there's also, like, if it's more of an internal thing. If you if you feel like someone's dressing a certain way to affect you, that's that's your problem. <laughs> yeah, you know? like, yeah, like we said, you're triggered by what's inside of you. Mm-hmm. And uh, another thing for me as well, like, I've, I've realized when I have the freedom to choose, I choose mm-hmm. to dress the way I want. Yeah. And it's not provocative. And if I choose to be, I can. I'm still going to go wear a bikini at the pool. It's not going to be a big deal. I'll still mm-hmm. wear it on the beach, whatever. It's about your, what it's you about, want, not yeah. what everyone else wants. It's about inside, and it's because you are self-validated by yourself. Mm-hmm. Was the garments a hard thing for you? Um, No, I grew up being so strict with my modesty. So a lot of girls, like before you go through the temple... You know, we're told, like, no bikinis, no short shorts, but a lot of girls still would, and it just wasn't as big of a deal. I mean, it was like you'd look at them with a scale of, like, how righteous you were for sure. So you had, like, the girls who would still wear bikinis and still wear short shorts, and you're like, okay, they're not as righteous as the girls who are wearing the Bermuda mm-hmm. shorts and the cap sleeves, right? But at the end of the day, both could be married in the temple because you weren't wearing your garments yet. I was such a good girl that I made a goal to only wear clothes like through high school and stuff that I could wear garments with so that it wouldn't be as hard of an adjustment and that's Mm -hmm. how like my mom was like if you just start wearing clothes now like it it's not gonna be this huge adjustment you're not gonna hate them because you'll have always dressed like that and so Mm -hmm. it's not gonna be a big deal and so that was where I was like when I got married I had to throw out maybe a handful of clothes and that was it that like my garments wouldn't work with so um, garments weren't a huge deal other than I just added a layer in St. George, which was really hot. Oh, yeah. But because I was fully believing in the reasons for it too, like they were sacred. And I, yeah, I really enjoyed wearing garments until I realized that I didn't believe in the covenants that they represented. And then my reason for taking off garments, because I, I know that it's like hard for some people that are like, well, you know, you're not listening to your cut co- or your uh going against your covenants and stuff I'm like more than going against covenants for me it felt disrespectful really? if I don't if I don't believe in the temple ordinances then why should I be wearing then if I wear thing? them it's not dis- more disrespectful to wear them when I don't believe in them than to continue to wear them out of um tradition mm-hmm. and treat them as actual just underwear yeah that's and to me, point. that felt more disrespectful to the religion. And so that was more of why I took them off, not out of a comfort reason, because it did feel a little bit uncomfortable at first to not have them. Mm-hmm. Um, and you get a lot more wedgies. So, <laughs> so I actually like, hear they're really comfortable. They are. They are, because they're like biker shorts, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like just always having an undershirt on. So no, the comfort like is definitely there. Sorry, random fact. But mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so for have, me, it's like not... Have you seen the LDS garments? 
You mean FLDS? I'm sorry, the FLDS. No, but someone did ask that question if we were comfortable talking about that. So if you want to tell, because you, did you guys have garments at all? Only when we die. Only, only when we're buried, if we were like a worthy order member. We would get buried in garments, and I didn't even know this till I got older. But there was also a um, a young girl who committed suicide at fifteen, and be- because that's like a big sin, yeah. right? They like put the garments on her, but they put them on her in a different way as some type of a weird ritual. I don't know. Huh. I think there's even secrets in the group that even members don't even know about. Did they wear? Okay, um, when we saw, who was it? We oh, I know what it was. It was at an FLDS funeral, mm-hmm. and they wore temple clothing to be buried in which is typical so when you get um if you've been through the temple in lds you get buried in your temple clothing and like your full temple ritual clothing and you have like a sash as well the green green. green. yes yeah you can look it up on lds.org we are not being disrespectful in any way go look it up if you want to see the 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 temple clothing just so you know Mm -hmm. but um but yeah the actual temple with the The apron and everything as well okay so did they wear that in for their temple rituals as well, or just for the burial? Because when I looked at it, I was like, I guarantee they got this from Deseret Book. Like, I guarantee they I got it from I actually have no idea, because I never went to the temple. Oh, okay. And a lot of people, uh, the older, a lot of older, older people did back in the day, and then the temple was built in Texas in 08. Oh, okay. But a lot of, like, when they were buried, they had, like, a green sash, and that meant that you were, like, had done your temple ordinances it's or It's like whatever. getting a black belt in religion, I think, right? Yes. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> kind of. But I think that was <laughs> it. That, that was kind of it. I don't know if they ever wore it in, because you had to wear a complete white. Oh, okay. Like, everything has to be white when you... So, and when you're talking about garments... Are I'm you wondering about the undergarments. Undergarments. Like underwear? Okay. Undergarments, yep. So not the temple clothes on top. I'm wondering though if they got the garments from the LDS church because I found out later that there were some members secretly going to the LDS church, and I'm wondering. So they could have access to them. I'm wondering if there's still some overlying things that they believe that the LDS. I don't know. Well, like the FLDS, like they still get like their hymn books and mm-hmm. their our hymn books were the green ones, right? Yeah, the green ones from mm-hmm. the LDS church. And um, when Sam told me that, I was like, okay, so they're going in and like using the same resources basically which I thought was really interesting but yeah which makes me wonder that maybe those garments are not far off of the LDS ones yeah but then you didn't have to wear garments as kids because Joanna wore Mm -hmm. garments as children we We wore them for as long as I can remember and they were a lot different they were always cotton it was like a jumpsuit so they went to your wrists to your neckline and to your ankles so that was under the dress at all times yes well and that is what Joseph Smith revealed Really? And yes, then they the have like a cutout around like your private areas, right? Private areas to, to use the restroom. Kind of like open like chaps, I guess, in mm-hmm. the back. But it was all, it was it was in one piece. And they could not touch the floor, ever. That is what we were talking about. How are you supposed to change? You stood up and did it. You held it. You put your legs in. You Yeah, <laughs> like as little floor contact. And the others were told that as well. And you couldn't lay a towel like down either. You couldn't lay a towel down, do it on top of the towel. That was bad. Oh. What? <laughs> That must have been really and, awkward. Yeah, they <laughs> do all the time, every day. Honestly, it was normal. Like we wore uh, the garments, the leggings, the bra. That's true. Under panties, when it's a normal silk thing, slip, and then the pride dress. Then it's normal. There's yeah. no other way to do it. So it's like I didn't. This is all I know. Yeah. But for me, I was like, I thought garments were so weird because we never wore them, and I even thought it was weird that we were buried in them. I'm like, why does it matter? Like, is this gonna? Why magically... does it matter now? Yeah, it's over now, right? Yeah. The LDS garments were way more comfortable. Like they continued like. Uh, it was right after I've been endowed that they went from having like the high waist where they did hip hugger ones like they continually change them and even now like they've gotten like shorter and shorter so now you can wear like mm-hmm. not short shorts but like a regular length short 
you can wear them. And Isn't the there... cap sleeve has gone from where it was like there was cloth underneath your arm and on top of your arm. They got rid of the under part because you would sweat in it and be annoying, right? Yeah. But now it's like barely covers your shoulder. Like they've changed them so much. That's another thing. Like, um, I'm like, well, we'll see where that ends up going if they end yeah. up being tank tops someday. <laughs> because <laughs> for like comfort reasons, honestly, I don't even right. mean that disrespectfully. Like I think they'll continue. If you look at where they started to where they are now people would be rolling over in their graves thinking that we were wearing these ones now, thinking that we were modest. Yeah. They would. They would be rolling mm-hmm. over, being like, that's not modest, and that is not what Joseph Smith... I mean, Joseph Smith, and I did a lot of research into this when we were looking into stuff, but what the FLDS wear is more exactly how it was revealed, and Joseph Smith said when it was revealed, because he saw an angel, like, appeared to him and showed him the garments exactly how they were meant to be, and he said, if these garments are ever changed... It will be blasphemy. Wow. That's and what we believed as well. And they buttoned up on the front. Like, like I said, everything. You couldn't crazy. let them show it all. So it was absolute blasphemy for them to ever be changed. And that was one thing that was, again, one more thing that I'm like, here's the past list. It's blasphemy if it gets changed. Here's my list. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's crazy that we never <clears throat> even heard of it. And it was something that Joe, because we believed in Joe Smith. Yeah. Weird. Huh. But again, if you don't have like active temples, I can see where you there's no have point that. in it, right? Because originally garments weren't meant to be worn outside the temple. Oh, okay, yeah. So, so that's it, probably so it's weird to me. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. So Joseph Smith, when he originally revealed the, it was a, called the temple garment, and it was something that you only wore in, in the, the temple. temple. Okay. And then yeah. from oh my my sound going down. Hello. Check. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, but it was something. So you originally only wore it in the temple, and then um. From the research I did, they said then some people started wearing it outside the temple to show that they were righteous enough to be in the temple. So it started being a status symbol of like, I'm not just wearing this in the temple, I'm wearing it all the time. They originally had little collars on it. Mm-hmm. And so they said like the women would let the collar of the garment come outside of the top of their dress as a way to prove that they were so righteous that they had the temple garment and they were going to wear it all the time instead of just when they had to as a sign of righteousness. So because. the temple garment and the way that it's changed and like progressed over time has been very, very like, go research that on your own time. There's lots of information on LDS.org mm-hmm. about it. Um, well, actually, it was kind of harder to find. The, when I, on LDS.org, I went and found some other resources and then I had, my brother was going to BYU at the time. Mm-hmm. And I said, this is what I've been able to find. It was hard to find on the church website. Can you go and confirm that what I found is correct? And he went to his BYU prof- religion professor and was like, mm-hmm. yeah, you're right. So it was a little bit harder to find, um, but very, very interesting stuff that if that gets changed, yeah. it's all. I feel like I want to research it more now because I don't, I have no idea on any of it. <laughs> any of it. Yeah. But I'm just saying if like, if from your split off, you didn't have temples, it would make sense that you wouldn't have the temple garment. Mm-hmm. So. Makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Oh my gosh. Okay. How many time. more do you think you want, we should let's, do? <laughs> let's do two more. I think a lot of these, um. Oh, this is a good one. I want to ask this real quick to you guys because I'm not as familiar with this. Um, oh, see, someone asked about endowments. We kind of went over that. Generally, when a woman gets married, she takes the man's last name. In regards to polygamy, since many of the plural wives aren't legally married, will they keep their maiden name or do they change their last name? You want to go first? <laughs> For us, in the church, you changed your name. Every in time? In the church, yes. Okay, in the church, but legally, that would legally, have been Legally, no. <laughs> Legally, no. But so in the church, mean, like, like, yes, if someone do. marries a Jessup, then er, all the wives, let's say he has 10 wives, all the wives are known as Jessup now. Yes. Mm, okay. Not for us. We, my mom is a second wife, so she would not take on the first, so I would be Johnson. 
if I took my dad's last name. But because my mom was not the first wife, the first wife took the last name, because that's the legal one, and then they spiritually got married, and my mom literally went in, went with my birth certificate, it says I, my father's name is Kyle Grant, and I'm Amanda Grant. Grant is a fake last name. And they did that with, it's just tradition now, but I think that the reason was because they were so afraid of getting prosecuted for living polygamy, even though no one, no one that I know of has been prosecuted, you know? <laughs> I honestly almost feel like it's partially in their favor so they don't, the men never have to pay child support. The women can get food stamps and WIC and, mm-hmm. and all this financial help. So, uh, yeah, so my mom's last name, Grant, the, the third wife's last name, completely, like, just made up names. And that's why it's like sometimes it was so hard to even know, oh, you're my cousin through these people because the names were all so fake. Everything was fake. <laughs> that's so, that would be so hard to track down like lineage, mm-hmm. which I know you had shared before that like you didn't even know who your father was until you were oh, yeah. older, right? Oh, they, they, because <coughs> my mom was the second wife, um, I didn't get like the luxury, I guess, of knowing who my dad was. I literally asked him, I was like, are you my dad? I, was, I think I was like five and he was like, no. I was like, well then who is (laughs) where's kyle grant i don't know where he's at but they the the state found a kyle grant and demanded like child support from him and and he was like i don't know what you're talking about so it's very illegal to be doing that yeah but um no for us like so my mom was married to a fisher she changed her name to fisher because she was his first and only wife mm -hmm. she had six kids and then she remarried her sister's husband who was a barlow so in the religion we all switched our names to barlow i was raised as barlow in the religion. So is your last name on your birth certificate? What's it's Fisher. Okay, okay. Huh. That's interesting. I guess, too, like, the reason I knew that I was related to some FLDS, though, is because my dad's Johnson name, his mom was the sixth wife of the leader Ortel, and she actually did come. Do you know who Price Johnson is? Yes, That's I That's my do. posterity. Yeah, but... he's uh, Leroy Johnson's brother, mm-hmm. I think. And so, Leroy Johnson was a prophet that's what, in our cult. That's what made me believe that, that we were all one cult at one time just because of that. But I think maybe it was like maybe people just leaving the FLDS coming here. But so because she kept her last name, which is rare for the women to keep their maiden names, they'll change it. I don't know why, but she yeah. kept her Johnson name, which made me be like, oh, I guess I have Johnson lineage. I might even be related to you somehow. Probably are. <laughs> uh, my grandma, Grandma Jenny Johnson, is a Johnson. So yes. So we're probably like second probably. or third cousins. Um, another thing is like the, my mom had two siblings from the Barlow guy and they took the Barlow name. So mm-hmm. legally he is their father on their birth certificate and she is not his legal wife. Wow. So that's a little crazy. different. That's way different than LDS, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, we just normal, normal. birth certificate. You know who your dad is. <laughs> no <We> lying. <laughs> you knew who your dad was though, right? Yes, I always did. Uh, I always knew his name, but I did not know what he looked like clear until I was older. And the first time I actually talked to him and knew he was my dad, I was 16. Wow. And I called him and I was like, hey, I'm your daughter, Joanna. And he said, Joanna who? And hung up the phone. What? Why? I don't know. I think he was, it was at night and I think he was tired and, and he hadn't talked to me. What, like, did he not live in your same home? No, no, he was kicked out. Oh, that's He right. was sent okay. to go repent. And on my brother's funeral when I was nine, he came through the line and I didn't know he was my dad. I hugged him and I had no idea that was my dad. Wow. Mm. That's crazy. That's one thing that's different is we never, the fathers never got sent away. And the fathers, like, when you're a numbered man, you're a numbered man. Usually that, that's, like, your... No, everybody got kicked out. Yeah, that's pretty The higher awesome. you were up, like, if you knew more things... You did one bad thing and you were out. Of course, wow. your prophet isn't in jail though, right? Not yet. Just kidding. <laughs> no, yeah, ours um, is in jail for life in so 20 years. I'm just like, he, he doesn't really have anyone to threaten. He doesn't have 
um, the threat to his power the mm-hmm. way that Warren did when he started kicking out oh, people, right? Maybe that's what it is. Because yeah. if he's still in power and everything's still running the way he wants, then he doesn't really need to kick out the other men for any type of advantages, right? Right. But it's also, I think... Um, he he did it in his own way where he would he would like get pay cuts to the people that are like less um, maybe like like my mom she's uh, kind of a burden on the order at this point now because the family is like a tainted name so it's almost like she gets demoted every year and it's mm. like they're not gonna kick her out but they're not gonna like please stay here you know yeah so it's an interesting line of doing things I guess. Okay, I will keep it to two more questions. I was trying to scroll through, so I wasn't trying to be rude not looking while you guys were saying this, but um, do, do, do. each of your views on men while you were in the church versus your view on men now. Hmm. I feel like my journey was really like long for and I'm still going through this I definitely when I first left I went through like a man hating period <laughs> I did the same thing I went mm. through a period where I was like men just want control men just want everything mm. and they did where I came from I mean I don't think they actually did themselves but they were taught that way so mm-hmm. even my ex he was very controlling mm-hmm. for years it took him so long I mean even wearing short sleeves he didn't want me to at first and then mm-hmm. I broke out and we changed so much but for him it was easier because men have all the control but they're taught that way Yep. It's not like it's, they choose to be that way. Right. And that's the thing is I, I took a long time to figure this out, but it's like the order breeds narcissistic men and that's very normal and we were like worshiping that. And then it goes along the lines of where we run to the red flags, right? Narcissistic men is all we knew, so we get in relationships with them. And so then it made me be like, oh man, you're trash. I like, <laughs> just want to control me. No, it's like the relationship I'm in now. Like I'll do something and expect a reaction and then I don't get that reaction and I'm like do you love me? Like, you're not mm-hmm. reacting uh, toxically like I'm used yep. to because you associate love with toxicity. Yep. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I went through that whole phase of, like, uh, I, I was scared to say things because I'm like, this is usually something that would trigger all the narcissistic men in my life. Mm. So then when they're not triggered, I'm like, do they just not care about me? Yeah. But it sucks because then it's like you have to – how do you take that out of your brain and be like, that's not love? <laughs> I guess yeah. the one thing that made it healthy for me is, like, I guess uh, when I would get angry about things that he did, he'd be like, you're angry because you chose to be. Not because I made you angry. I did that. You chose to be angry because of it. And so, like, he was like, if you do something and I get angry, it's not your fault that I got angry. It's mine. It's my choice to get angry. Two separate events. That's true. It gives it gives that power back to you. Your emotions are yours and not anyone else's responsibility. Exactly. And in a relationship, even, it works healthy like that. But it took me a long time. When he didn't react, I would get heartbroken because mm-hmm. he didn't love me. When in reality, he was like... I don't react because I love you. Yeah. It's healthy to actually not get mad about everything the person does. Yeah. I and control I it. <laughs> yeah. You never went through the daddy issue phase. I never went through the daddy issue phase. <laughs> Lucky you. I know. <laughs> sorry. I will say the only thing that made me think like while you guys were talking is on the other side, Sam, people get the, like, we get the question all the time, like, how did Sam overcome growing up like that and then mm-hmm. not turning into that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I always tell people, so I'll just say this one little thing about him is that He always says, like, no matter where you grew up, no matter what your upbringing is like, you can always look at the examples in your life and you can say, that's what I want or that's what I don't want. Mm -hmm. And he's like, and so he goes, it didn't take long after leaving where I was seeing these happy, successful, good relationships and to realize that's what I want and what I grew up with and what I saw is not what I want. And he was like, all you can say is that looking towards that he knew that that's what he wanted to be and by the time we had like met and started dating seriously well we had met when we were 18 but when we started dating when we were 23 he said like it took him a little while to realize but it doesn't actually take that long to realize 
how to treat someone well mm-hmm. if that's what your heart wants. Yeah. That's, and so, that's what Manti said as well because he is from there. He's from the mm-hmm. same religion as me. Yeah. He was never controlling, but his first relationship he was. Yep. And he says wow. he was toxic. Yeah. But that takes a lot to he's admit. changed. Mm-hmm. But admitting that, and I even admit mm-hmm. that I was toxic in my first relationship. Mm-hmm. I was very toxic and manipulative towards the end. Because it felt like, I, I feel like um, when you're in a toxic relationship, you can't just say that the other person was the only toxic. Because you were in it for however long. So you if you don't to get out, right? <laughs> if you don't get out in the beginning, you become toxic. And by the end, you don't know who is the victim and yeah. who is more toxic. I think that's right. But if everybody you, has the opportunity to be able to change and to be mm-hmm. able to, like, be a good partner for someone else. If you're willing to look at those things and work on yourself and be saying, okay, I want better, and you can, you know. Yes, mm-hmm. but I, I do believe it does It does start with taking responsibility and being, like, recognizing yep. exactly. that you were toxic and being like, okay, taking, I don't want that anymore. Like Sam mm-hmm, said, yeah. this is what I want. This is what I'm going to pursue. This is how I get there. Yep. Yeah, I always joke with Sam that, like, all, most of his brothers that have left have ended up with, like, really strong-willed women. <laughs> really? And I was like, I think all of them left, and they were like, oh, no, we're used to that. Let's take on a challenge. Yeah. Like, <laughs> let's have someone who's going to, like, push us and stuff. Because, yeah, like, all of us are pretty, like, strong-willed women. So I think but it's But I think funny. that's attractive, too, to have someone that knows what they want. They know where they're going, you know. Yeah, so it's interesting that that, that happened. But, yeah, too. but they're all, like, happy and in, like... Good, healthy relationships. They are all like that. They are all like that. Yeah. So, anyway, for those of you who are like, oh, if the men leave, can they ever get better? They can. They can mm-hmm. choose as well. And they are not some thoughtless creatures. You don't have any control over their thoughts. Or no, they do. Mm-hmm. That is well, not everybody, <laughs> everybody can choose to change. Everybody can choose. And I, I don't. I, I'd always say transform because that's the truth but you awaken to those problems and then you transform from those problems Mm -hmm. but it takes uh, awakening and realizing just taking responsibility for the part that you play yep and moving on from it forgiving yourself is the biggest thing if you do Mm -hmm. not forgive yourself you will continue to be toxic you will because you'll bring that back into your life because you create that yeah i think that taking the responsibility thing too and not not pointing out everything else externally because then you're giving the control to the external things that you can't control take it and point internally to the things you can control and change that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'm just going to end on this one. And it's so fun. We could probably, we could literally be in here for hours. (laughs) But um, (laughs) I say in here like we're locked up or something. We're just in the room. But anyway, um, (laughs) and I just thought this was sweet. And also, I kind of guess I'll ask two questions. The question says, do you girls realize that if you inspire one woman to leave, you're changing a whole generation? I guess I know I don't really think of it like that. I guess I look at it like that for me, like wow, I could have stayed and had like ten kids there and, and had like a terrible life for those kids and I stopped that. But I look at I guess, um, maybe it still is a whiplash for me because I some people will message me and be like, You changed this, you made me see the truth, da 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 but I'm like, You chose to listen. So it's really you that did it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess that question is overwhelming because my intent in sharing my story is to let women know that there are other options. But like she said, it's up to them if they take those options. Mm-hmm. If you could, and this is where my last little question is going to be, like if you could say one thing to someone who is still in your religion or cult, like what would you say to them? If they were starting to watch and they're just barely starting to feel comfortable watching, what's one I used to have the same thing because I would ask people this question and I liked hearing their answers and my answer was always question everything until it makes sense but I think it's changed now to um, 
find out who you are like ask yourself like if you're what you're doing every day is it for you or is it for everybody else are you living your life for you or are you living your life for everyone else and it really should be for you because you're not living your mom's life your dad's life your brother you're living your life yeah that's a good one joanna i think i would say trust the process Mm -hmm. um learn to forgive forgive lets you off the hook because if you're still angry Mm -hmm. they still have control so even like me, I don't, I'm not angry. I mean, I was angry for a long time at Warren Jeffs. Mm-hmm. I am not anymore because it doesn't affect my life anymore. Mm-hmm. So I think trust the process of getting out. Trust the process and accept help, please. Yep. Do not be too proud because I was that proud kid that was like, I don't need anybody's help. The only thing mm-hmm. I'm going to accept help in is education. And then you just make it harder on yourself. Exactly. So <laughs> accept help, be appreciative, have gratitude, and don't hate your past because mm-hmm. it's a part of you celebrate it yep celebrate that you learn from that yeah but trust the process and forgive forgive first of all yourself and forgive people that have lied to you because if you don't they will continue to control your yep. life and your attitude still, on your look of life you're still giving them the power yeah for yeah. sure what about you <laughs> i would say um to not fear truth or to not think that there isn't such a thing as truth Like, there are some things that can actually be true or not true. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I would say to never try to compare your journey to anybody else's or expect your journey to end up a certain place. I think it's easy, especially within the LDS, you know, a lot of people might not have the same traumatic things. But still, at the end of the day, like when you're starting to have questions or doubts, you'll like compare yourself to that one person who left and you think, okay, is my journey going to end up there? Is my journey going to end up here? And when you worry about where the ending is, it's hard for you to just actually be able to fully experience your own spiritual journey. Yep. I think I'm going through that a little bit right now. Like how I keep being like, I'm 26 and it took me this long. Like I keep comparing myself to where I should be and it makes it harder to just live in the experiences right now. And to not be like, yeah, and let go of the expectation of this is where I have to end up or this is where I'm going to end up and fully be present in the moment to take in how you're feeling and know that you don't have to rush through it. It's not a time limit. It's not, I think that's something else that like growing up, you feel like you have to have it all together all the Mm -hmm. time and you have to know everything all the time and I remember when we first started going through like our journey I felt like well if this isn't true I have to find this other truth somewhere else you know like like a religion or something like that like just trusting yourself in your process I guess and not Mm -hmm. feeling like you have to know the ending before you get there yeah Yeah. I would say also be happy where you're at if your happiness depends on you know finding out all the truths about it you're never going to be happy Mm -hmm. yeah so live like Melissa said now be happy now it's just a choice it and is. it yeah it's not really necessarily about the end goal too it's really about the process and the journey too yeah we're all gonna die one day <laughs> you, you never, <laughs> you never happy. it's actually kind of yeah like all of life really right yeah. mm-hmm. like you never have what you continue to chase you continue to chase you never have it's true that's a very good point <laughs> yeah so well, um i i want to uh what was your channel called Amanda Ray. It's just my name. Okay. <laughs> yep. Look up Amanda Ray. I will leave links below. Joanna will do your Instagram until yes. we... And let me know, too, if I would love to do, like, another yeah, what's, episode like Yeah, what's this. your Instagram? Yeah. I want follow to. me. I'll follow you back. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, and I will leave links below to Amanda's channel, Joanna's Instagram, um, if you want to keep hearing what it was like for not only Sam, who we didn't even include this time. Yeah. 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 He didn't bring us the coffee, he did, though. He, he, did, yes. he did bring us the coffee. <laughs> 
So thank you for that, honey. But um, if you want to hear more what it was like, not just for him, but for other people, what it was like for them to grow up in polygamy and to move on and move forward past that, then please like and subscribe to us and Amanda. Find Joanna. And we're just grateful for all of you. Yes, thank you, guys. We'll talk to you all later. (laughs) Bye.